What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 18th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Paul Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Uh, that's Liam Michael Marchin in, in, in the middle there. Oh, sorry. I apologize. I still don't. Yeah. You, you say your middle names every once in a while, and I always forget them. It's okay. I keep I'm forgetting a... that your middle name is Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matthew Paul. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm good. How about yourself? A little tired, a little cold. It's been chilly out there. Yeah. Sorry that we missed last week, too. Uh, we kind of got our schedules all kind of uh, bunched up, and I went down to Oshawa to kind of um, to shoot Cinema Scene with you. Yes. But unfortunately... It was glorious. Um that didn't leave us much time to actually record the podcast. So I blame you for everything. <laughs> yes, I, I blame myself as well. I also blame uh, uh, the screening of Glass that we had to yes. attend in yeah. two different locations, funnily enough. Yes, I went to a screening at Scotiabank while you went to a screening at Young and Eglinton. And um, yeah, everything just kind of got messed up last week. So we apologize that um, you didn't get your weekly dose of this garbage. (laughs) Especially the uh, Brandon. Yeah, but uh, we're back. We're ready to talk. And Eric... It is Oscar nominations day. Yes. How you feeling? I well, it's, uh, it's already feels like it's been eighty years since yep. this award season started. I'm I'm a little bit over it now. Uh, this morning though, it was tense. It was it was interesting just seeing you know those nominees come out, especially with at least one slot in each category kind of up for grabs and seeing what surprised and what was omitted and um, ultimately what is representing the year that was 2018 in cinema. Yeah, and I mean, we've gone over it a lot and we're, we're going to, it'll be our big, big topic later in the show. But yeah, I, I woke up, it wasn't that early for us. I mean, it's more, it's 5 a.m. on the, the West Coast, but it was 8 a.m. over here. But but it's still um, dark out, but like when we're we're waking up early, six, seven o'clock in right. the morning. And we also had a screening to go to this morning. So it was just, we sure it's did. Been, uh, yeah. What you'll hear about on Thursday. And then, um, yeah, man, it, it was interesting, but we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. Um, if you guys didn't know, this is the untitled movie podcast. Each week, Eric and I kind of get together and shoot the shit and talk about movies and whatever else is going on in our lives. Uh, we try to post at least once a week. I'm sorry. Like I mentioned, we, we did not last week. Our goal is to hit as every week but um due to us kind of living an hour plus away from each other that doesn't always happen but but um, we also do make up for it in the length of the episodes yeah I mean, and the reviews two like to three hours long and then right. yeah the reviews you're gonna get a bunch of reviews this week so if you like this show which is as eric mentioned two hours of of nonsense <laughs> um you might like a, a little bit more focused podcast so we also do a podcast called uh the untitled movie reviews where eric and i get together and actually review new release movies whether they're on netflix or upcoming in theaters or now playing in theaters and uh right now we have a couple new episodes actually there's a a plethora of new episodes as 2019 gets rolling uh right now you can go check out our reviews for glass uh the kid who would be king fire uh the greatest party that never happened and then on thursday which will be the uh 24th you can get our review for serenity you just dated Um, this podcast that's fine (laughs) but i want to let people know what they got Coming up. Yeah, coming up. So, And again, those are bite-sized reviews. 20 so we minutes, try to keep about them, 20, yeah, 25 20 minutes. minutes. Yeah, so go check that out if you uh, want to hear our thoughts and some uh, new releases. But uh, Eric, uh, uh, we haven't talked in a little while. I mean, I've talked to you, but yeah, not, well, we text. not officially. I, I, every time we try to talk about something, I'm like, save it for the podcast. So uh, uh, what have you been watching lately? Well, besides the, uh, the freezing cold, I've been trying to uh, keep up to date with uh, – 
some new releases. I, I finally watched Welcome to Marwin. God bless you. Uh, Robert Zemeckis's free pass uh, has been revoked. And in my opinion, has the man... Hasn't that been 20 years since... <laughs> yes, the, the man hasn't made a really good movie uh, since Castaway. You know, some people would argue that this is an introspective tale of loneliness. Um, but what I see is a film that uh, is okay to fetishize things and, and demoralize certain people in a way that is really uh, condescending. Uh, Steve Carell's character specifically... Um, sort of creates this sort of um, imaginary universe where he turns the women that he knows in his real life into miniature figurines and sort of projects his own anxieties and insecurities on them and sort of takes or controls that world. The documentary is kind of interesting because it it shows you who Mark uh, uh, Hogenkamp was as a person where this, it's almost trying to say like, you know, like, the way that he treats others is okay because he's been abused himself and he was in this horrible altercation in a bar and it's just it's it's kind of ugly looking too like it reminded me a little bit of small soldiers like the <laughs> the visual effects don't um, you dare talk shit about small soldiers small soldiers is better um everything else is but is is is, is just a toy um but this like honestly to me felt like Zemeckis was trying to make something more profound than what it actually turned out being, which is just a complete mess. And watching that in the theater, almost alone, there were a couple other people there. Oh, wow. It was the last okay. screening at Landmark Cinemas in Whitby uh, before it left. And I was like, I should drag myself out to see this because I do like Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Used Cars and uh, Death Becomes Her and Romancing the Stone. And, and I do like Robert Zemeckis, but... Yeah, those last 10 years, whew, they have been rough. When was Castaway again? 2000. 2000. Yeah. So almost 20 years. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because again, there are some things that are passable in that 20-year uh, period, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of like, like Polar Express. Just yeah, my parents so love Polar Express. screwed up, especially the hot chocolate <laughs> dance number, musical number. But I mean, even that's kind of dated as well, just with the motion capture that they yeah. were using uh, for the time, I a mean, Christmas like especially Carol in well. the faces and the eyes specifically, they look dead inside. And then there's an Aerosmith musical number where the band Aerosmith are elves uh, at the the uh, the North Pole, and you're like, again, what is this movie? Right. Um, but that one has a little more charm to it, nostalgia to it, especially if you read uh, the children's book as a kid, where Welcome to Marwin just kind of feels. Um, like a precious attempt at trying to make an awards baity movie. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, I have zero interest. I don't know if I'll ever get around to watching it. Maybe when it's a ninety-nine cent rental on iTunes. Well, it's getting a four K but... physical release, which I think is crazy. I think sometimes they do that when when a movie underperforms, just because they they know now that people wait. for things if that right. makes sense so maybe they think it'll do yeah because people on... are really waiting for this no i mean but people are maybe more inclined to be like i'm not going to go to the theater to see that but maybe i'll pick it up and, and i don't know who would purchase it on a blind buy people usually just right i i don't know i don't know what people do i usually rent things or, or buy movies that i enjoy digitally but and some physical but yeah man it's uh that's a weird one that kind of just came and went and uh i Literally, yeah, af movie after movie with Zemeckis lately with, like, I hate The Walk so much. Flight is pretty bad. Um, Allied was 
fine, I guess. Like, right. Maybe passable, um, but kind of boring and dull. Um, and then before that, yeah. It's, well, a lot of his uh, motion capture yeah. movies, whether it be A Christmas Carol yeah. or Polar Express or Beowulf. like Again, all kind of fine, but like I don't think any of them are atrocious. But No, um, but they do. They're, they're, they're almost more of him just experimenting with the technology that's available now and seeing how he can use that in a narrative that couldn't be used in any other format. So he couldn't maybe do a live action Beowulf or decides, hey, you know, why don't we do this? As, a, as an animated uh, CGI version. And again, they just date really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you've been watching? Yeah, I mean, I've been watching some Criterion stuff. Uh, Mickey and Nikki with... Um, uh, directed by Elle May. And uh, the the cast has John Cassavetes and Ned Beatty and Peter Falk. And it's a kind of hitman uh, dramedy that's very subversive and creepy. It actually played at TIFF okay. last summer. Uh, and then also uh, the Powell and Pressburger uh, movie, um, A Matter of Life or Death, um, which is with David Niven. He plays a World War II fighter pilot that's about to die. Um, and here's a, a radio correspondence with a, a woman that he falls in love with uh, a couple minutes before his death. And he basically cheats uh, going to heaven by saying, like, you know, I, I, I need to meet this woman. I need to have spend some time with her and actually have a real relationship and sort of how he uh, tempts fate. Um, and it's really, really well done. Uh, I'd seen it before once mm-hmm. in, in film school, but right. um, it was a really crappy DVD uh, release where the Criterion one is, days, yeah. is fantastic. Did you just recently pick it up? Is that why? Uh, yeah, or, no, it, I, I had it. Um, I picked it up back in the summer when Criterion, last summer when Criterion released it on Blu-ray for the first time. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like you can tell like someone like Spielberg tried to remake it in a, in a way with Always, but it just doesn't work with the kind of the whimsical quality of it. I think it's one of those movies that if that doesn't work, it falls flat, but I think Powell and Pressburger, I mean, whether it be, you know, Tales uh, from Hoffman or Peeping Tom or Colonel Blimp, like, they always find a way of making their movies kind of weirdly musical and lyrical and Red Shoes, obviously, um, but do it in a way that is just accessible and kind of fun. Um, and Matter of Life and Death is, is really, really well done. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, God, I, I, cause, cause we didn't record, I've been hibernating and just watching movies. And, um, so I'll, I'll go through my watch list. I've been, um, the boys over at, um, kind of funny are doing fast and furious in review. I mentioned that I followed along during their MCU in review, their X-Men in review and their Spider-Man in review. So now they're doing fast and furious. So I'm, uh, tagging along on that journey and, uh, I watched, the original Fast and the Furious, as well as Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, I still really enjoy the first Fast and Furious movie just because it's uh, corniness and it's um, ridiculousness. And well, I mean, you like iced coffee, too. Um, oh, God. that Like, I couldn't stop laughing, man. I texted you. It was like at 2 in the morning or something. And I'm like, this iced cappuccino scene with the casual FBI meeting is so funny. And then them eating shrimp... Um, 
uh, later, which I think is a actual callback to Point Break. I, I yeah. think. Um, and then uh, it's and then just, the Coronas as well. Yeah, obviously. it's just so <laughs> macho and stupid. And I mean, it's amazing what that franchise has kind of evolved into. And going back and seeing where it all began is 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 just kind of a Point Break ripoff. Is 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 kind of interesting and fun. Right. Um, oh shit, bro! I almost had you. Yeah, like it's so bad, it's kind of fun, right? right. And then uh, you go into two. Fast Too Furious, which is just kind of boring. Boring, and um, it is. I mean, it like we make fun of Vin Diesel as you know a great thespian <laughs> or what have you, but he is a presence, and that presence is missing in Too Fast and uh, Yeah, Too totally. Furious. I mean, I you do get the introduction of 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 Ludacris and Tyrese, who end up sticking around for the whole franchise, but um, it's. It just feels like a bizarre kind of like, you know, there's always that one for even Tokyo Drift, which I'm interested in going back and rewatching, which I hated, but maybe going back and looking at it in, in, and taking it for what it is, maybe I'll. And you've been doing that more. recently as well. Yeah, I mean, good, uh, good kind of um, lead in. I also watched. Uh, we talked about last week that I watched Goodfellas, which I I, I loved and didn't love before. Um, I watched Children of Men yesterday or two days ago, and uh, a movie that I was kind of um, tepid on when I originally saw it back in theaters in 2006. And uh, I think it's a, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's amazing. And um, I don't know what I was thinking back then, but obviously, uh, my judgment was not as. Uh, <laughs> it was a different time, man. It was. It was yeah, a I was time. a seventeen-year-old who didn't didn't know shit about the world, man. Um, but you no, were young and naive. Those those single takes in Children of Men. The mm-hmm. like it. I, I mean, all the performances from Clive Owen to um, Julian Moore and and. Um, Michael Caine just as a pot smoking kind of Michael hippie. Kine. It's it's a, I don't know and like I was just blown away watching it and I'm like fuck this is a good movie and it's, and exactly, it's even more prescient now. That's than what it I ever mean. Like it's it's crazy. It holds up uh, 13 years later and I feel like is even more relevant now. Whether you you mentioned Brexit, but then also even what's going on in the in the U S. and just in the mm-hmm. world in general with um, the refugee crisis. Yeah, it's and, and uh, the way that it handles all that in a, a really interesting post apocalyptic kind of like like the world's gone to shit um, kind of thing, but you're viewing it from Britain's perspective and this guy's perspective. And it's just, it, 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 it's such good world building without really showing you much of the world other than what's going on in, in their area. Right. It's um, very, it's lived in, in, in a way. Yeah, like totally. You, you kind of get that feeling like when you're brought into this universe that it's, it's, already you know very somber and doom and gloom and like people have been living with the realization that humanity is going extinct uh, essentially and when you're brought into the but Clive... it's like a slow extinction yeah 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 which i think makes it a kind of misery that works even even better um especially when you're brought into clive owens sirens are on our end yeah uh clive owens uh kind of small little world because you know like his um you know, faith in humanity has dwindled quite a bit, and and you see him as a person kind of trying to find that spark to reignite himself, and I find that's kind of an interesting narrative as well. Yeah, and uh, so absolutely love Children of Men. Um, then there was like I caught up on Unbreakable and Split, rewatched that those before Glass. Um, both hold up fairly well. Um, Split, another movie that I was kind of soft on until the twist, which everyone knows 
what that is now and then going back and rewatching it knowing um not the Nicolas Cage movie knowing no uh uh I think it improved on Split a little bit so I like that I randomly watched This is the End again and uh Point Break after I watched The Fast and the Furious uh, and then you wanted to go surfing yes 100% bro and uh yeah so I've been just kind of randomly watching a bunch of shit at home and then um, I also rewatched Unbreakable, and and again, I think it is M Night's best movie. Um, I just think it's that's interesting, yeah, because I, I I I love I think it's great, but yeah. I do like Sixth Sense and Split or uh, sorry Signs uh, Signs more. So uh, Unbreakable and Signs are my two favorites, but with Unbreakable, it's just like he's at I think he's at his peak as a filmmaker then, and I also feel that the novelty of the comic book movie at that point was still very fresh and yeah. new and especially grounding it in a reality worked really well for what that twist or that reveal was. And I know like, I remember seeing that in th- the theaters with my dad and my dad was kind of like, oh, this was a great movie up until that twist. And I'm like, no, this works perfectly. Like mm-hmm. it makes like it ties in, in, in such a way that, feels kind of organic to the storyline if you want to call it an organic plot development um but overall like it's one of those movies that it feels like you have a filmmaker that's kind of riding high off of the sixth sense and having you know worked with uh other movies at that point i mean he had done his student film uh praying with anger and right. wide awake but like it just feels like unbreakable is a completely realized fully developed vision of uh a superhero film Mm -hmm. um, in a way that I don't think that some of his later movies were completely brought to their, their full development, their full inception because like movies like the village uh, lady in the water, you can tell that there are aspects there that are kind of interesting and, and could work if they were maybe given another pass at as, as if somebody else came in to write them. Yeah. Um, But as they stand, it's just a high concept thriller or a high concept fantasy movie. Yeah, and and that's something we touched on in in our glass review. But like, I I really do think that M Night is a talented filmmaker, and I always cheer for him. And I think he has very interesting story ideas and concepts, and even the gimmick of the twist in his movies, which I don't think he needs to rely on all the time. But it's kind of his shtick now right um but and and sometimes they work sometimes they don't but i really feel like if you brought in a talented screenwriter to work with him um and uh him getting either a first draft or a story by credit or or maybe working with a writer on the script i think maybe you could elevate his work a bit more because i think we did see early in his career and and he's had a little bit of a resurgence um in the last few years yeah Um, i'd say the visit was that time where he was kind of making a comeback where he started working with uh blumhouse productions and it was kind of like him not necessarily making the movies that were personal to him but movies within genre filmmaking that were accessible and budgeted that he could make better yeah i don't i don't want to say the word elevated but yeah he does elevate um, the genre of the found footage movie. And I think the twist in that really does work quite well. Mm-hmm. And I think the the twist in Split um, works well, even if it, it feels sort of out of left field when you originally see it. Going back, I did see the seeds that 
kind of were placed throughout the whole movie to kind of show you that this was part of that larger universe. But anyways, check out our glass review. I think uh, it's a really interesting conversation with uh, Eric and I kind of on sort of different sides of it. But But I think we're both in agreement that we do root for M. Night Shyamalan and we're not ready to give up on him the way that I have now officially given up on Robert Zemeckis. Uh, I mean, uh, it was close after after Earth and the happening. But again, I mean, you can can say, I mean, not so much the happening, but after Earth specifically, you can say, well, that was, you know, his work for hire. Yeah. Like, I even remember the trailers where there was no indication that it was... Right. Him. It was more Will Smith. Yeah, than, and like, even Last Airbender. Like, right. it was kind of like, let's keep his name in the... Well, I think that's when his name became almost... I remember a joke. A joke. People started well, laughing at... M. Night Shyamalan yeah. presents Devil. And, and people, people were, were laughing yeah. at his name popping up, right? And now people are starting to be won over by him again, because people really did enjoy Split, I think. And yeah. Then, and The Visit as well. So, um, and Glass did fairly well. It made $40 million last weekend, and... Um, I think he'll continue to probably work with Jason Blum and, and do smaller budget uh, genre movies. and Yeah, because he um, has the creative freedom to yeah. make the movies he wants. And the only thing that's kind of reining him in is the finances. Right, which it seems like he's been like almost self-financing his last few movies so he can have creative control. Which again, what we just talked about, maybe full creative control isn't necessarily what he should be having or maybe maybe or somebody that he cut, trusts like, enough to kind of come in as either a producer or a consultant or a script advisor to say hey the script, maybe. his dialogue just needs really like, yeah because again interesting stories just a lot of the times the way that the story might be structured or the way the dialogue comes out is just kind of well it's very stiff and slanted yeah. and sometimes it can work like i think when you get someone like bruce willis right kind of speaking it, it it works like i mean i think willis gives two of his best performances of his whole career in both sixth sense and unbreakable and those two performances are very muted very quiet um characters and and i feel like less is more with that and yeah. minimalistically speaking and, and the sparseness of the writing serves a, a a stronger purpose to character development yeah for sure so uh please go uh listen to our glass review uh moving on uh it's been fucking freezing out eric yes. so it's what so should... cold it like this morning when i when i went outside uh my facial hair started getting stiff and yeah. freezing and like that's that's how you know it's canadian winter i know and i mean it's cliche to kind of complain about uh canadian winters but um i i stayed in from friday till this morning basically without yeah leaving. we had an extreme cold yeah. uh, alert it was like alert, felt yeah. like minus 40 celsius with wind chill and stuff so uh that leads into uh, staying at home so what can we recommend for people to kind of if they don't want to leave the house and kind of just cozy up and hibernate like we've been doing what right they watch? well i mean there's there's a lot of stuff i mean this the last couple of weeks um there have been many new uh blu-ray and 4k releases uh one of which will sort of dovetail into our conversations uh, about the awards uh, which is first man uh, mm-hmm. which is now out on blu-ray and 4k um, and then uh, a movie that I want to recommend that uh, the good people at Shout Factory sent me a copy of um, is Brian De Palma's Obsession, which is basically a knockoff of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Oh, yeah. So you have Cliff Robertson, who's probably best known 
for his performance. I mean, you'd probably best know him for, as Uncle Ben in the Sam Ra- Raimi Spider-Man yeah, movies. Yep. Um, he plays this kind of wealthy uh, millionaire type who uh, his wife and, and, and child go missing for several years, and he kind of finds uh, the wife again, or someone that kind of looks like the wife, uh, played by Genevieve uh, Bourgeois from uh, Dead Ringers, a French-Canadian actress. Um, and so he um, thinks, oh, well, this is like a very similar person, and he tries to kind of model her in uh, the the same way, and it's basically what the plot is right. in Vertigo, with the exception that it's, it's written by... A, um, Paul Schrader. Academy Award nominee. Yes. First time Academy Award nominee Paul Schrader. Um, And it also has John Lithgow in the film. De Palma used him a couple times afterwards. Also in uh, Raising Cain, which is another release uh, from Shout Factory. They seem to be really enjoying working with uh, Brian De Palma and some of his uh, um, genre-esque stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if Carlito's Way gets a Shout Factory release. The special features are okay. Like, there's nothing really involving um, Brian De Palma himself. But there's um, an audio commentary with one of uh, Brian De Palma's uh, most notable scholars. There's um, some archival interviews and behind-the-scenes uh, footage, and it's just it's just interesting. Uh, a couple years ago, that we got that Brian De Palma doc, and now that you know, if you go back and sort of look through um, some of his earlier stuff, I know also Arrow uh, Video released the early Brian De Palma Robert De Niro box set with High Mom in there. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just interesting to see how much of an Alfred Hitchcock fan he has always been and it it gets a little less diluted as he moves along into the 80s and 90s but right. it was always there and you can really tell you know from the late 60s to early 70s like you can see that he's still a fan of filmmakers and fan of Hitchcock and that it feels like a student film in a way because right. it's just emulating the people that he grew up sort of idolizing in terms of filmmakers and, and screenplays and, mm-hmm. and what have you. So obsession. Yeah. It's worth cool, checking man. out. Yeah. For me on uh, the digital side of things, um, there's a big Sony sale on iTunes right now. So a lot of uh, uh, Sony pictures films are hella, hella cheap. Um, I can kind of pull up some of them here or else I actually, I lost it. But um, also uh, speaking of, um, uh, award season, um, A Star is Born, and uh, it's not a movie I can suggest, but I'll let people know that are there. that is there. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is weirdly already available on digital. I feel like we just reviewed that not too long well, ago. Well, it's, it's getting a, um, a 4K and mm-hmm. Blu-ray release in a couple of weeks. I yeah, think. So, so it's on um, 4K iTunes, HDR, Dolby Atmos. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure the Queen music sounds great if you have a Dolby Atmos system, but right. the movie's not great. Uh, the Wife is available um, on digital, and Widows is also uh, available on digital. Now, you haven't um, watched The Wife yet, right? No, I haven't. Um, it, again, leading up to the Oscars, I, I might um, kind Right, because the Lightbox is now playing it for this correct, week. Correct, yeah, correct. And then on the Sony um, sale, uh, the one I will always give a shout out to, eight bucks for both 21 Jump Street movies, or <laughs> both Jump Street movies. Uh, the first one is in 4K, Dolby, Dolby Vision, um, which is dope. And then uh, there's tons of collection uh, on sale. There's things like Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, Jumanji, uh, Baby Driver, uh, uh, all for $10. Um, 
there are some things for five dollars like panic room and black hawk down and and, and stuff like that so yeah and panic uh, room has never had uh, a blu-ray release. right so if you want to watch it in 1080p the only way to watch it in hd you can watch it on itunes for uh, five bucks which is great um yeah and i think that's it for me i don't have anything i'm specifically other than oh and mission impossible fallout um is ten dollars in 4k dolby vision dolby atmos on um on apple as well on itunes which is uh if you're like me i mean eric you were nice enough to get me the the physical um yes ordered it from the u.s with no french on it uh, which is nice thank you my favorite film of last year yep um but if you uh, are like me and don't mind uh, going the digital route now, it still looks great. In uh, it has that switching aspect ratios and everything you would come to expect from the physical uh, version on the iTunes version for ten dollars. You can't beat that, right? Uh, All right, dude. Lots of trailers this past week. So, um, I mean, last couple weeks. Um, yes. Let's start with um, Spider Man. So is it because um, you were transitioning from Sony over to yeah, yeah. you know I'm just uh, so I guess uh, I guess Avengers Endgame has just been spoiled for us right um yes and no I mean again this is I thought the trailer was good I'll I'll start off there like I, I I'm excited to get back into that um um I really loved Homecoming a lot Spider Man is probably my favorite superhero i've always said batman and spider-man are are are, have always been since i was a kid um love this cast seeing jake gyllenhaal as mysterio um twist it looks like he is a hero i'm using air quotes um there in in the film not the villain i mean or is it an illusion is what i kept saying uh which it is um the thing is what i'm curious about is like um the mysterio thing what we're expecting is that yes he's probably putting on and making himself look like a hero but he's actually the villain yeah the other thing you'll have a heel turn about halfway through right and then um the other thing is that it's we talked about how weird this marketing campaign is going to be because you kind of have to spoil Endgame, and i mean we all knew like there's no way black panther and spider-man and and everyone is just dead but like but who's not in the trailer that was in homecoming yeah, Tony Stark. So, right, I mean, so. which a lot of people are speculating that could mean something. But then we also, people have gone through and they don't know if it, sure, Kevin Feige and, and Amy Pascal and, and people have said, no, it takes place after Endgame. But, I mean, they also lied about the title of of Endgame and they've lied right. about things before. So, But there seems um, to be some communication problems between uh, Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige in terms of the Marvel Sony collaboration. I think that just happens with studios. I get that it's Marvel Studios, but it still is Sony and not Disney. And and um, I mean, yes, would I have liked them to maybe show no footage of of Spider Man and just kind of play up Mysterio or something like that and make you think that it's basically a Mysterio movie or something like that. Right. But um, I thought the trailer was funny. I like. Um, I mean, the Europe angle is interesting i mean i i like my friendly neighborhood spider-man in new york but um, well they even make a reference to uh, that as as a joke you know right. like why do we need you know our friendly neighborhood spider-man doing this kind of yeah. thing and i also think field trip would have been a better title right right or national lampoon spider-man <laughs> uh far from home yeah. uh, which it kind of reminds me of almost like euro trip or something yeah, like that where totally. it's, you know you're you're expanding not only uh the mcu but you're expanding spider-man's 
um, universe and his world and sort of it goes from, you know, your your small town Brooklyn kid to, you know, internationally uh, traveling the world and, and globetrotting. And, and I think that could be fun or it could work against it if it gets too big. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I liked about Homecoming is that it just felt like a small story and, you know, is the premise of Mysterio being this faux superhero um, going to be sort of, again, minuscule or, or a microcosm to um, Europe? Or is it going to be like, oh, well, I'm a new version of a, of a superhero that's protecting the world at large? Yeah. And because uh, he is American. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal ha- isn't speaking in any accent, so you can tell yeah, with Quint- his line. It's Quentin like, Beck is an American. You don't want any of this, which reminds me of uh, uh, Tim Meadows in... Uh, uh, Dewey Cox, though. right? Yeah, and um, <laughs> you don't want any part of this. But I, I hope they keep him as a um, a stunt man and special effects master and, and things like that. And like, yeah, man. And then we see the elementals in the trailer too. So you see Sandman, you see Hydro Man, you see uh, Pyro Man. I don't know what the fire. Dude but are they real? Uh, exactly. Right. So, um, which it seems like they like in this universe, they're playing with the villains of the Spider-Man mythology as you know first and secondary and tertiary characters. Where it's like, okay, we'll put the main focus on these as the as the big villains, and we'll put in other you know smaller scale villains or villains that are of lesser importance in in smaller roles. I mean, you look at Logan Marshall Green's character, even Donald Glover as and, uh, yeah. The Prowler, like yeah. the references there, and it, and it feels almost like okay, with this we're doing a similar thing where it's like Mysterio is the main villain. Well, Michael Keaton's supposed to return as Vulture, so I'm sure there will be some screen time for him allotted there. And then yeah, like we'll have the Shocker type villain where it's like you don't really need to set him up as a major player, but we'll kind of throw some reference into him, and even not even as like a a, a, a main plot point yeah and you you got to think that they're setting up for sinister six which they've been trying to do for forever and now right. with, well even with, with the amazing spider-man movies that's what i mean and now with um uh with michael keaton being in the film and you think they're probably building towards that but um i mean sony has been so successful with even weirdly venom and and now spider-verse which is slow but steady when it comes to being successful but um and we talked about it in our episode talking about spider-verse of how that's the universe that they should kind of be building out and to kind of let marvel well, i think most marvel run movies should be looking at that as a template sure to apply because like when you get instead to of the- M- i think mcu is obviously i love the mcu but right. it is its thing it's it's they're doing it you don't need to kind of emulate that um, yeah just but just to keep things fresh and to totally, explore yeah. different characters that are um other versions of those superheroes like you know like when will we get a female thor like i'm sure that'll maybe hopefully come down the line and, yeah. and you can make that work in, uh, you know, parallel universes or, or it doesn't or even have, have to that. be, or no, even it doesn't, when you but get, it could yeah. be fun. And I think we will get that stuff when we start to see how phase four is shaping up, which, which far from home is the first film of phase yeah, four. End game is the it's, end of phase three. Yeah. Right? And so I think we're going to start seeing that whether it's, um, I mean, these guys can't play these characters forever. Right. So whatever happens with, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and uh, Chris Hemsworth. I think Hem. I've talked about this before, but I think Hemsworth is the one that 
could possibly stick around because I feel like Thor is the one character that finally kind of found his groove and for him to step away now um, seems like the wrong time for that where I think Iron Man and Captain America have had their kind of um, fill and maybe other people can step into those roles or uh, not as the same characters but different versions of Iron Man and, and Captain America but um, or whether that's Captain Marvel takes the the Captain uh, movies right which I think forward. that's kind of what they're um, implying with yeah the future of Marvel so and I've always said that Shuri would make a great um, Ironheart which is the kind of uh, a storyline but then instead of making her Ironheart, they could actually bring in that character from the comics instead of making Shuri that. But like there's uh, tons of interesting things. And I mean, we don't get to see a lot in this trailer. I I mean, it's pretty much what we expect. It's Spider-Man fighting some bad guys in, in Europe and Mysterio shows up and he's Jake Gyllenhaal and, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, and then um, there's also this kind of playful romance between John Favreau and, uh, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, Aunt May. That was a cute joke. Yeah, yeah, it's cute. And then the MJ and Peter stuff I like um, of them kind of flirting on this school trip. And then um, I like Tony Ravioli's um, Tony Ravioli's uh, yeah, dickwad uh, joke at the end, too, of how he loves Spider-Man, but then calls Peter a dickwad. I thought that was good. Um, I'm excited, man. I, I, I'm glad they brought back pretty much everyone from the first one. I, I thought the first one worked really well. Um, hopefully they can kind of continue that vibe in 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 this movie right right we'll see michael keaton was just so fucking good but they got to do something interesting with mysterio because if it plays out exactly how you'd expect where mysterio is it's an illusion and he's pretending to be a good guy but then he's actually a bad guy and then that's it that seems a little underwhelming right Um, or predictable or predictable not underwhelming it could be still good yeah or then like the twist is like he was actually good the whole time and like it was something else that was horrible that he was trying to keep at bay right if they make mysterio a a hero and just keep him a hero but what could be interesting is this entire movie he he is a hero and they make you believe that and then later down the line there's a reveal or a twist where right when they you go oh maybe he is a good guy yeah and it's just also interesting to see i mean this is jake gyllenhaal's first comic book movie and um, back when Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi version, was you know being he almost played yeah cast he yeah. was he was the runner up for the role of Peter Parker in Spider-Man. Yeah, so he's lived long sure. enough now to see himself become the villain. Yes. Uh, let's move on to a couple Netflix trailers that came out. So uh, let's start with High Flying Bird first, um, which I is... didn't even realize that this was coming out in February. On my birthday, February. Yeah, 8th. I, yeah like yeah. I, I thought this was like coming out like maybe September. But I think they didn't. They this was the first time they announced the date for it, right? I yeah, because Netflix then... had announced late last year that they were releasing it because they're also releasing Soderbergh's heavy hitter ensemble, The Laundromat, which is about the Panama Papers. But that'll probably be like. Are they also released? Netflix is doing that as well? Yeah, so that'll okay. probably be like. So they have two Soderbergh movies. Yes, this year. that'll probably be October, November because right. it has. Meryl Streep, Antonio Banderas, um, Gary Oldman. Uh, there's a slew It'll of be like, a, yeah, yeah, uh, like it's yeah. like an awards film. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, much like Unsane was also shot on iPhone. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because like I don't know what you thought of the trailer. I think it's. Uh, uh, I think it'll be an interesting inside basketball kind of uh, uh, movie. But yeah, the minutia yeah. behind the scenes of like, 
you know, the the game, but also the politics of playing the game and sort of, you know, who runs the show and who's in charge and who has the power, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of what I like about those kinds of sports movies is that it's not just about like the winning team it's 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 about the 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 actual minutia and structure of it all yeah um so yeah i think it looks good i don't have much else to say but my only like kind of thing i wanted to bring up to you is that with unsane i almost thought the cinematography worked for the movie because it had this creepy digital kind of weird you know iphone look well to it, it looked like a, an um, exploitation right film, and right? because of the way um how you can shoot on an iPhone. I mean, it can look good sometimes, but well, it also does has, look good. It does, but it still had that kind of, I know it shot on an iPhone look to it. And right. I, I mean, what, what's really going for him? Um, I think, uh, comparatively to other people who are probably shooting on iPhones is sound where I think obviously he's recording sound se- obviously, but separate and the sound is great and the dialogue sounds crisp and clean and even if the imagery is kind of has a digital kind of interlaced i don't know how to explain it but like kind of choppy netflix or not netflix um choppy iphone look to it right and, um uh i just felt like it worked in unsane because it it felt unsettling and strange but then it's still in this trailer it kind of just looked off to me and maybe it's just because we're not used to it right well he's also presenting a slicker style compared to unsane which is a rough around the edges almost again like as an exploitation movie it it, kind of has like this weathered quality to it where high flying bird just from the trailer that we we watched it's supposed to be kind of almost you know very clean and and um, stylized and that doesn't lend itself as well with you know being shot on an iPhone because it still as you're saying has a kind of uh, limitation to the, the the value that you're getting from you know this this uh, format of shooting right mm-hmm, yeah um, although I mean it does look good when it's when it's shot in bright contemporary yes. lighting so like anything that has like fluorescence, coming out of it like whether it just be in a building or or a gymnasium i think it looks fine Mm -hmm. um i would be interested to see some of like the darker shots like there's a shot of kyle mclaughlin in a a sauna that kind of looks like it's darkly lit and seeing how that would look on a a a 4k uh screen yeah i mean i own unsane in 4k i haven't watched it in 4k yet but um it's yeah this this phone that i'm holding in my hand can shoot 4k uh, 24 frames per second, and you can put uh, a scope lens on it. You can put a yeah, like a two. You too lens. could be Steven Soderbergh. You could, and I think that's cool that he's going. You know what? I don't need all the this fancy shit. I can shoot it on this and and record sound and and figure it's out cheaper, the lighting. It's cheaper. It's quicker. I mean, yeah. I remember when we went to go see the press screening of Un- of Unsane, and he had already posted um, a photo of him editing High Flying Bird, and it's like. Like how long did he take to do to make this movie? It's probably like three weeks. <laughs> oh, probably not even, man. Yeah, yeah like it, uh, that's the thing when you, um, yeah, and it's all his films have that unique kind of, not all of them, but a lot of them with that orangey kind of lighting. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, like, like uh, well, Magic Mike kind of yeah. has it where it's it works more as like a warm yeah. Tampa Bay yeah. uh, sun kiss kind of look, where then Contagion has a kind of grisly. But it still has the same kind of lighting. So but I'm, he's I'm, always played with saturation. Yeah. I mean, like you even look 
at um, some of his earlier stuff. I mean, not like early, early, but like traffic. Yeah. Like it has a kind of uh, blue greenish tint to it or, or even, you know, sex lies and videotape. It has a kind of grittier quality that kind of feels um, that it is shot on, on, uh, on tape. Yeah. So like he's always playing with the, the aesthetics of the visuals and sort of creating a look that suits it. I mean, especially when he's making these micro-budgeted movies, whether it be Bubble or The Girlfriend Experience, those movies look like they're shot on the fly and on the cheap. Right, 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 right. And I think this does too a little bit, although I think something like, you know, High Flying Bird maybe needed maybe more of a budget to just kind of... It seems like it's a bigger film than, you know, shooting it in a couple weeks or a couple days, where I'm saying, again, like, is a movie that, you know is best shot as like a quickie kind of no totally it makes it work right that's what i thought the iphone cinematography completely worked for unsane so i'm just skeptical because even at the beginning of unsane when it it's not quite into the um kind of exploitation element of it it just looks weird in that office building and things like that and i know that's probably the intention the angles he shot at so i'm just curious to see how that translates over to something like you said that's a little bit more slick and um will it still be distracting because i just felt at the beginning of unsane it was distracting but then i kind of bought into bought you get used to it as well yeah so uh all right the next one i wanted to bring up um Actually, we had our first piece of kind of like not a, a, a fan mail, but a, a, a listener of ours. Uh, I want to give him a shout out. Uh, uh, Deviant Devi, I think, messaged both of us on on Twitter and um, and wanted us to talk about Velvet Buzzsaw. Right. And when he messaged well, speaking me, of Jake Gyllenhaal too, yeah, right? Jake Gyllenhaal and Netflix. Then this is all kind of I I planned this. I promise. No, I did not. I, that just actually happened to happen. Um, he wanted us to talk about Velvet Buzzsaw, and the the note he sent us was actually uh, right before they released the trailer, and he right. was wondering why haven't they released a trailer yet? We're close to Sundance. It's coming out February first. And uh, sorry, I'm paraphrasing, but um, he wanted us to kind of go deep into Velvet Buzzsaw and what we thought about the trailer and kind of what we think with Netflix's marketing strategy for it and and, and everything there. So um, first, your reaction to um, it's too the much. trailer. I, yeah, I think I saw think? too much. Yeah. Not I mean, that I'm saying that the, like it seems like it's one of those movies that's going to be a completely uh, – off the wall kind of movie that throws everything at you in the last act. Right. But I felt like everything that you saw in the trailer, like some of it should have been left a secret or a surprise that it's kind of building up to something. But do you think they, maybe it's, we're not seeing exactly what maybe, like... maybe, but I do feel like there, there was more shown than what was needed. Like they could have just kept it kind of, um, a little shorter, a little more. Like once you start getting to the point where the spoiler alert, the paintings are moving and coming to life, and you know, like people are being butchered and murdered by at the this art. art gallery, <laughs> and it's like, well, is this art or is this like yeah. a homicide or is it both or like what does this right. represent? Um, it it begins to lose some of its its mystery, and 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 I was kind of hoping to discover that. When you act, when we're actually going to watch it, which is in the beginning of February, which is very soon, um, 
but I am hopeful. I mean, I, I did dig the trailer. I, I really loved Nightcrawler. And yeah, same. To see both Jake Gyllenhaal and Renee Russo back together, uh, Tony Collette in, a, in another genre film so soon after Hereditary. Um, I'm very much excited about it. I think it has a lot to live up to because that name is pretty awesome. Um, but it also did kind of remind me of like, again, like 90s horror where it's like you, you're having the uh, the art world and, uh, you know, the horror, like the horror of art sort of take, uh, possess uh, the main characters. I was thinking like films even like Candyman and Hellraiser and, and things like that. Um, where it's very specific, and I even think like there's this giant silver ball in the middle of a, a, a one of the art gallery rooms that looks like um, uh, the ball from Phantasm. Yeah. So. No, I mean, I, I really dug the trailer. I mean, I'm trying to kind of. Um, oh, and the creepy robot with John le- Malkovich. Yeah, yeah, like we like we're mentioning, we kind of um, the second half of the trailer might give away a little bit. So if you haven't watched it yet, maybe only watch the opening moments or something like that. But. Um, Devi brings up a good point too of of it being a movie about art and kind of it's a it's a weird kind of um a weird concept and a weird thing to kind of sell to a mainstream audience too right so when it comes to the marketing strategy and and netflix who is a company that uh debbie brings up the point that they've made art house movies like roma and um almost as like a satire kind of uh uh, you know like what is art art is now art is in the moment it almost has again like Another filmmaker that I could see having made this movie would be someone like Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, and I even even with that commentary on art, uh, we saw that recently in. Uh, well, we saw it in Widows a little bit as well. Yeah, with, but... with uh, Robert Duvall making a comment on like you know expensive wallpaper and Steve McQueen specifically sort of pointing uh, the finger at at what art is or the subject of that that right uh, premise right. what am i thinking of you know the movie um by uh didn't ruben oslin just uh oh the square the square yeah and it reminds me of that obviously not in so much of a genre sense this is more of a it seems like a, str- a kind of getting into the straight up of uh, yeah that horror, felt like but... it was almost like a series of vignettes with yeah. uh, a, an ensemble of characters within this art gallery and sort of specifically focusing on one curator where this is an ensemble and again it, it's it like even the way like jake gyllenhaal looks it's almost it's like, weirdly yeah. kind of like designed to be a kind of goofy comment on like oh this person looks like this because they're thinking this may be the way people dress that are you know elitists and 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 sophisticated types yeah and um i th- i really do think netflix is going into a fascinating kind of era where yes we still get kind of the schlocky um kind of appeal to the lowest common denominator of of i don't know middle america not to just like say that you're you're saying adam (laughs) sandler yeah exactly and and debbie brought up that point of being like they'll make these adam sandler movies and kind of or these schlocky bad kind of just like appeal to a mass audience thing but then they also have kind of they go in the lately they've been doing the romantic comedy route and then now we get some of the art house stuff and then they're teaming with really great filmmakers with Quran and Scorsese this year and and uh, well, even the Coen Gilroy brothers and Coens and so like it's interesting that they just have like a little bit 
for everyone, but then they still, when it comes to their marketing, try to appeal it to everyone, right. too, right? Although they do sometimes bury some of their, their films as well because right. the Because they content, almost have too much. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quantity which is something over we've quality. Which is something we talked about, I think, on our first episode of yeah, the show. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate that, you know, like some movies, whether they be, you know, foreign language films that they pick up or smaller indie films that are produced in-house – uh, get buried and it's up to you know critics to champion and remind people of certain movies that aren't uh, being discussed in the Even way last, that aroma is or yeah what have you. withhold the dark last year a yeah. movie that i felt like was one of my favorite movies of the year and i just feel like it kind of came and went right and i mean it did get a small theatrical release here in toronto which a, a lot of the netflix stuff is doing haven't heard anything about velvet buzzsaw and we're eight days away from it right um, but i'm sure so. once it plays at the fest we'll be getting more buzz uh, <laughs> on the film but yeah i mean like to me like it almost feels like well they're you know they're hedging their bets so to speak and making a movie that's you know even if it's not critically acclaimed it'll play well to the genre crowd specifically yeah. um the way that you know like adam sandler movies are fail safe for those who are fans of his um so that to me is where they're kind of putting all their 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 advertising into it's like okay well like if you like you know this kind of horror movie then you'll maybe enjoy this yeah and i, I again i really really dug the trailer um uh, uh it's funny because when i started dating nevis she brought me into this art world a little bit because she went to ocad and 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 um and did some curatorial and editorial stuff in in the art scene for a while um and now she works at the film festival obviously but um uh yeah it's it's interesting having gone to art galleries now and to those openings and things like that and i guess we even saw a little bit of that in nocturnal animals too at the at the beginning too but um uh and that's kind of more of a genre film as well um coming from a fashion designer but yep. um who was clearly uh, ripping off david lynch yeah it's fine i i love it's okay when people rip off people sometimes um anyways i'm i'm super excited i can't believe we're like 8 days away that's the thing that is is weird to me right like it's just like we're 8 8 days away or 9 days away right. from it and between so. now and then i'm sure netflix will release another 5 movies no, a hundred percent. And uh, I mean, we're gonna uh, right now. We have a review up for Fire, the the, right. the greatest party that never happened. And uh, uh, it's weird because I've been so behind on on Netflix films, but that was the one that kind of uh, I'm like, well, everyone's talking about this. I'm well, it also it, it happened it. recently, yeah. so it's it's still fresh, fresh yeah. in the news cycle. And to kind of get the perspective of of seeing something that we were kind of laughing at because we were looking at like you know people who were stupid enough to actually buy into this which just seemed like it was uh too much of a good thing to begin with um you know laughing at uh influencers or and uh socialites and what have you you know spending ridiculous amounts of money on this thing and being oh, trapped yeah. in in a location that they couldn't escape but then you know looking a little bit taking a step back and actually looking at the bigger picture and seeing the nature of what this was it's it's fascinating and then on top of that as well the, with Hulu releasing their documentary 
a couple days. Is that days available before. in Canada anywhere? I don't or? know. There's some people that I know that are from like Durham region that have watched it, and I don't know how they've they've gotten it. So, <laughs> see, and that's the problem though, too. Too much content, and you don't know where it is. And I mean, that goes back to the Netflix conversation again. Is like. They are trying to make something for everyone. And I, I wasn't earlier trying to say that if you like an Adam Sandler movie, but I like Okja that I'm better than you. It's just that they're making something for uh, everyone and, and there's different things and everyone enjoys different things. Right. And, and sometimes it is a quantity over quality thing, but then there are those things in there. Like we're going to talk about the Oscar nominations and Netflix is a huge player now. Right. Yep. And like this, this year officially they've become a legitimate uh, film studio and not just you know tv and you're starting based. to see even like independent cinemas take them a bit or more seriously and and they're releasing more things in theaters um whether they're day and date or a, a short theatrical window whether it's only a couple weeks like roma and things right. like that and but netflix is also willing to uh chill out all that money no, for totally. them yeah. to play it because like with Roma specifically, I mean, when it came to uh, the awards uh, consideration for it, I mean, like I was getting boxes of chocolate and and posters and stuff. Like you could tell, like this was a movie that they were willing to spend millions of dollars on in marketing, and I mean, it paid off for them, obviously, and I'm sure they're going to continue to do it until um, voting officially ends for what will be selected for the categories that it's been nominated in, but it's just, it's, it's funny seeing a company that is, is so big that also is rumored to be in major financial debt as well, kind of continuing to dig a deeper hole. Well, I mean, I, that's, I think every incredibly successful company does the same thing. I mean, Amazon only recently, I think started climbing out of debt. It's just because when, I mean, creditors will give something more money when they know how much money you're making right so they don't mind having billions of dollars of debt because they know eventually they'll be Be able to pay yeah they'll be able to pay it off right because it's not going anywhere unless disney plus comes in and and they just somehow like take i i think it'll be counter programming but i think those are the two streaming services that i think people will well disney wants to compete with with netflix i mean it seems like they are i mean they're they're taking a lot of their programming away from netflix and and wanting to create their own streaming service and and sort of be an entity on par with netflix and and i mean even apple now is trying to put their hand in filmmaking but then there was that interesting quote that came out in the last week or so that i think it was netflix that says we're not really competing with those other streaming services we're actually competing with Fortnite and like video games and uh other things that take you actually away from screen time because they actually have such a grasp on that video streaming service thing that they're not actually competing with the other streaming services they're competing for other things that take you away from watching content on them and whether that's playing video games or or, or I forget the other couple things that they mentioned. But, well, everybody um, is just doing Bird Box in uh, real life. Oh, yeah. That's so stupid. A movie we still haven't seen. And right. there's the that's kind of the backfire when it comes to Netflix content, right? Like, I mean, well, that was at, that was at Universal, too, and it, because uh, yeah. one of the producers came over to Netflix and, and brought was it able with him. to. Yeah. Yeah, so. And then, uh, I mean, we will review uh, Velvet Buzzsaw next week. Uh, um, I would love to review that and whether we get to um, kind of see it 
before or whether we review it for the next week. Um, that's one where I, I, I won't wait because uh, Gilroy is, even as much as I didn't care for Roman J. Israel. Right. Um, but I remember that even being very excited for that when it came to a surprise announcement at TIFF and just being uh, utterly disappointed and gutted. Did you ever see the recut yeah, of it? Yeah, I watched it twice, Right, man. you did, yeah. Because I, I reviewed it. So I... I uh... I, that's the one thing that I always do when when you hear that a movie has been re-edited um, from the festival version. Um, as a critic, I feel that it is my duty to see it again because an edit can change a movie. And there were significant structural changes in Roman J. Israel, especially in the last act, um, playing with voiceover and reorganizing certain scenes. Um, to play in a different sequence um, that I mean I still didn't like the the newer cut versus the festival cut but it did have some bearing in terms of how it changed the movie a little bit right um and then John Wick chapter three um don't have much to say other than I think it looks dope and I can't wait to see it um i know it's a franchise that you're you're yeah. not really hot no, i mean on, right? I, I i thought that the first one was a high concept joke with just you know the the dog being the the motivation to it and then two kind of annoyed me because i mean i don't think it's a spoil well spoiler alert there's a suicide in the movie and it's just fetishized in a way that i found a little um tasteless okay um and then I just, I don't know. I mean, this looks fine, looks okay. But again, like, I think they're playing up, like, the dog thing quite a bit. And, like, oh, they're, you know, like. I just like the over the top nature of them and the gun, right. and the gun foo and the, and the, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not maybe as high on the John Wick train as other people, but, um, I did really enjoy the first film and I actually thought the world building in the second movie was really interesting when it came to that world of assassins and criminals well, the medallions and stuff. And yeah. Coins and stuff yeah. Like, like I, I thought the universe that they built is actually something that I do want to explore more of. And, and, um, whether we get that in this or is it really just like a chase movie? Um, um, but it, it It'll does probably look try like to be a, both where yeah. it's like filling in the blanks of like, john wick's past and his life as a hitman before he left uh the profession completely and the intercontinental and stuff like that yeah and and i know they're trying to do a tv series on the intercontinental as well yeah uh, which i i think is 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 smart and again i want to go back and rewatch them because i've only seen either film once and i was late on that train as well because i just heard everyone talking about it and i think i eventually saw the original john wick way after it was released and then um the second one i i remember enjoying but they're not movies that have stuck with me that much like i enjoyed them during my watch they're then... they're above average straight to vod movies fair <laughs> um and i think like i like keanu reeves as a person he seems like a very nice guy um, but as an actor, like it's playing the movie plays to his weaknesses, I think really, really well, where you have this kind of very stiff kind of modulated performance and it works because he only has to say a few lines here and there or it can are, be corny or yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the stuff that he says in both movies when it comes to him, you know, getting riled up or, or, or him making some philosophical statement or, you know, um, stoic kind of uh, 
matter of fact reference it it all plays into his inability to act and be more of a presence than anything else yeah totally so i I don't know i think they're it seems like they keep getting bigger and bigger and more ambitious and that also um, could be a problem especially when you know the films were you know working on a smaller budget and they were you know the filmmakers were trying to make it work with what they had and you know use um their stunt backgrounds to really make the movie sort of a selling point right where now you're kind of getting bigger name actors in more involved with Halle Berry well. well even Lawrence Fishburne coming back yeah right? you know and and um like to me like that's where like you know that any series can jump the shark when you start off small and you have a group of actors that are you know a part of it and it's like okay well it's successful so now we can you know write a, a a world building movie where we can bring in bigger names and and more stars and when you get other actors and that are that are of name recognition like Halle Berry and like Lawrence Fishburne I'm surprised more people didn't complain about the matrix uh being a distracting kind of uh reuniting of the two that's where you get the problems I think that's where it's like it just becomes overstuffed fair yeah I'm still um Fairly excited. I thought the trailer was very well done and exciting, and and I'm oh, film Twitter loved um, it. Yeah, and I'm excited to go back and rewatch uh, John Wick one and two in 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 4K on uh, uh, and and catch up because I, I want to see if they hold up as well as I um, remember. Uh, okay, Eric, let's get into the the big topic. It only took us an hour to get there. Just just an hour. <laughs> classic us. What people want to hear, and then we leave it to the very end of the sh- not the very end of the show. I'm sure we'll talk about it in length, uh, even though I'm already exhausted. Um, Same. The ninety first yep. Academy Award um, nominations. nominations came out this morning. Um, they sure did. Uh, I want to talk about them with you. Uh, Talk First about off, how do you Oscars. how do you want to ha- handle this? Should we go through some of the big uh, categories? Yeah, and, 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 and just kind of talk about what our expectations are. I think you wanted to sort of talk about, um, and, and this includes myself as well, um, the reaction that some people, a lot of people, are having on Twitter, and not so not much just Twitter, just in general. And I know we get this every year. Sorry to cut you off, but like. I just feel uh, I'm like more exhausted this year with award season than I have in any year in the past. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I don't really have a horse in the race or or um, I don't care about the crop of movies or it seems like a lot of the films are very divisive and passionately divisive where you either fucking love it or hate it and you hate the people on the other side. Right. And I just don't. I've just people ripping into Elsie Fisher for liking Bohemian yeah, Rhapsody. Yeah, and like I we neither of us like Bohemian Rhapsody, but I'm not going to I'm not going to insult you if you enjoyed it right. or I'm not going to like we'll talk about how we I'll just I, re, you just reiterate that you didn't like the and movie. And that I don't understand how it right. how but then some people think the same of Green Book or Vice or um uh yeah so it's just or any of the art house films yeah. like you can look at you can look at people that go and see a couple movies a year that liked bohemian rhapsody and then like maybe they take a chance on you know the favorite or and they Roma. Go, what the hell are you thinking yeah like, to yeah. you or, yeah. or to me or, or whoever and and again i think i fall somewhere i mean you just like what you like and i i mean i, I know that's not the greatest thing to say from people who are claiming to be a film critic like uh, like 
I am sometimes, but like, I also am going, you know what? Like, uh, yes, I'll be critical, but these, remember, these are my opinions and yes, they are, uh, there's knowledge behind them or there's a history of, of watching movies behind them and, and there's reasoning behind them. But again, you're your own person and you can like what you like and it doesn't, uh, make your, your, it doesn't validate your movie if it gets nominated or it doesn't get nominated. And I just found like, and I guess that's just the culture we're living in that it's every, it's, it's very aggressive and, right. and, and well, it's, it's to draw, it's to draw attention to yourself as well as a brand. Like I find that some film critics kind of, it's like, well, this is, this is my opinion. And not only is it my opinion, but it is the correct opinion. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I'm ever the correct opinion. I mean, it's just my fucking opinion. Right. And like, again, if you look at this crop of nominees, there's not a hell of a lot of movies that I loved on the list, but that's okay. I'm like, all right, it's just, this is the Academy. We, we've kind of come to know of what the types of movies that they nominate. I mean, they are changing. We can see that and we'll go through the nominees. Well, in some ways there are, and then other ways you could argue not. that they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this weird, oh God. Oh, Siri, uh, that's enough from you. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's, I guess that as much as things change, they stay the same. And, and, um, well, for two step forwards, it's one step yeah, back, right? Exactly. Where, where, like, you know, you look at the last two, I think somebody brought it up on Twitter. You, you look at the last two best picture winners being, you know, uh, Moonlight and The Shape of Water. And now potentially this year, you could have Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody winning best picture. And it's like, I still got it. We'll go through, but right, yeah. right. But, but you look at those and you're kind of like, you know, are we back in 1989? And that's been the other big conversation because specifically Spike Lee being nominated for the first time for Best Director when he was snubbed in 1989 for Do the Right Thing, finally getting his first Best Director nomination for Black Klansman when he had never been nominated previously out of all those out of the decades that he justice has been for inside man yeah <laughs> which is a great movie. it is a great movie yeah. um and and you're just kind of like you know like in a way does does history just repeat itself like we we keep saying oh well the 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 academy invited a new uh group of 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 members that is more diverse and international and, and younger and younger but you know did that really the old make, guard is still there? Yeah, though, did that right? make that much of an impact? I mean, we still got like for for example, a couple of years ago, we still got Hacksaw Ridge being. I mean, Mel Gibson got a Best Director nomination. Yeah, like how how does that happen? And that was okay a few years yeah. ago. Yeah, and uh. now we're coming into problems with you know Nick uh, Villalongo as as you know. Uh, anti-Muslim yeah. racist asshole or tweeting Peter Farrelly Farrelly <laughs> yeah as some film critics are calling him now Peter Fairley uh, having exposed himself as a uh, joke as a joke which I don't understand wh- how that's funny like on set like when you just but the thing is no one general. cared when you were making movies like Dumb and Dumber right. and there's something about Mary but when you start making prestige films right. people well, start because to they're go, being rewarded But for I'm those not saying movies. that that's okay because right. you're making schlocky kind of crass movies that you're, al- you're allowed yeah. to pull your dick out and show it to people as a joke that's still not okay right. and then even Vigo who keeps saying one dumb thing after another I don't know what the hell is happening Did you see the new thing with him in the round table yep. like I, mean, I that's old though like it's the Hollywood reporter one yeah. that was back out in October but now it's catching fire because of what Green Book is becoming um, which is kind of almost like this tainted 
movie because we both liked it and i think the selling point for both of us was the two performances agreed um but now it's like everything that comes out i almost of am like movie, embarrassed I, to like yeah, say I, that i liked it and I'm then like green book boo yeah well and i and i agree with a lot of the criticisms too and i agree with people going we shouldn't be rewarding these guys who either make these comments or do these things or or maybe don't completely grasp what the movie that they made yeah, is because both like, of them still got nominated for uh, screenplay yeah. and, and best picture. So let's go through like, and then maybe yeah. let's go and talk about things as it go on. So anyways, we're pretty, and I hate, I know it's very tired to also say that you're tired about, um, well, we season, follow it through like, the whole year. And that's the yeah. other thing though, is that we, we try to watch as much as we can. And, and like you're saying, like there's only a couple of things here and there that you kind of are really, fans really of. Love. And, and, and when, you look back at a year that you we did a you know our, our best of lists that it's not entirely representative of of your choices. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and even yours too, no, right? No, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I know you meant a collective. Well, I mean, yours. Roma specifically. Like, I am right. happy that that. I mean, it still boggles my mind that a movie like that got ten nominations. Right. You know, like a black and white. Mexican Foreign language. Yeah. Yeah, in Spanish. Yeah. Uh, with no stars. Um, very slow, deliberately so paced in terms of yeah. Style. I know that was one of my problems, right? right? Like, but I do it again. We talked about earlier that I keep going back and revisiting things. A Quran movie right. um, that I just might have not been in the right mindset for. And again, it, right? when you but, see a movie in a in a festival setting and you've seen three or four other films in a day, it, it's tough to really digest each one fairly. Yeah. Um, Peter Fairley. Peter Fairley. <laughs> God damn it. All right, let's get into it. All right. Um, let's start with Best Picture. So Sorry, the nominees. On, I gotta scroll. Yeah, you, you I, announced I, the, I keep the going. Nominees. So uh, we have eight nominees for Best Picture. Uh, let's start with that quickly. Yeah. I'm done with this. Yeah. <laughs> Either 10 or 5. None of this Make up your in mind. between. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's weird. One year there's nine, then there's eight, then there's ten, then there's six. Um, I don't know if there's ever been six, but uh, so Black Panther. That's I mean that's huge that a superhero yep. movie, a Marvel Studios movie, Kevin Feige getting his first nomination, Marvel getting their first nomination, like um, with a predominantly African American yeah, cast. Yeah, and uh, so that's that's awesome. Um, Black Klansman, another great movie. Um, Spike Lee, uh, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, uh, very well deserved there. Uh, Jason Blum's yeah, third, good for him, uh, man. Best picture nomination after Whiplash and Get Out, uh, uh, and and also Jordan Peele. Yeah, uh, for the second year in a row now, yeah. right? Yeah. So because Get Out last no year before no Jeez. last year oh yeah last year okay yeah yeah, yeah it, it feels longer because it came because out at the it's beginning like, yeah of, right um, it's almost been two years but yeah. it was last award season uh then the not a surprise because we kind of saw this coming but bohemian rhapsody gets a best picture nomination which is Everyone i think the, loves karaoke which and queen uh, again this Love in, queen this but, and uh, green book are the two that people seem to be like what the hell well they're like, the two that are the most again like representative of old hollywood and yeah. like not old hollywood in a good way but old hollywood in a like this is a studio movie made for awards consideration yeah and i mean again i like green book but i can i understand that criticism totally and i've i've backed off on it because of the criticisms yeah. and understanding where people have come from and and i will still say i thought it was an enjoyable so anyways the favorite a movie both of us enjoyed but i was kind of medium on right um green book a movie we both enjoyed quite a bit but mostly because of the performances which we'll get to those in a little bit and also it was the um, tiff uh, people's choice yeah. winner um so that continues that trend of people's choice winners usually becoming 
Best Picture nominees. I think it yeah. usually or winners. I mean, at least in the last little while. Um, Roma, uh, Netflix's first Best Picture um, nominee, correct? Yep. And then um, Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born and Adam McKay's Vice. Um, so again. Um, We'll go deepest into, I guess, best picture. And let's go through directing quickly, too. So uh, for directing, Spike Lee for Black Klansman. Um, pa- I can't pronounce this guy's name. Powell. Powell Palakowski. Palakowski for Cold War. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite. Uh, Alfonso Caron for Roma. And Adam McKay for Vice. Um, so let's start with uh, kind of the directing and best picture stuff at first. So, yeah, like we mentioned, like, I don't really have a – a horse in this race like there are i guess the movie i enjoyed the most out of this crop is black panther right <laughs> um honestly at this point i could see black panther winning well, it could but be. like i could too because it's it's one of those movies that i think most people did like yeah and it was a big commercial success and if you have other films that are kind of um cutting each other off that's the film that i feel that is going to come out the middle right the 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 film that everybody can agree on but who is who would have guessed that the safe choice at this point or not safe choice but the choice people would be like okay with would be either black panther or probably roma like or even black Klansman. yeah like that has done extremely well for a film that is very provocative and very angry and and has also gone through some controversy with this year especially with boots riley yeah you know pointing uh certain uh historical inaccuracies so um i mean green book has that going too right right (laughs) bohemian rhapsody also has that going yeah yeah so it seems Um, to be a trend right but i think with black klansman though there the the message of the film is is much stronger than any of those other ones and more sound and what it's trying to do and again i just like when spike lee is an angry angry man like angry old man spike lee is the best totally agree um but yeah like i i think overall um, you know, going to directing, the most interesting thing here is that Bradley Cooper was not nominated. Yeah. Um, which is now also another statistic going into the uh, director's branch, not picking the actor turned director. Uh, it was very similar to Ben Affleck with Argo, right? Like yeah. everybody was thinking, oh, he's a shoe in, right? Like, and then you had. Uh, you know, Michael Haneke being nominated and, and Ben Zeitlin for uh, a more and, and piece of the Southern uh, Wild, respectively. And this year you look at it, well, Powell, Palakowski, and Yorgos Lanthimos, um, the European contingents got yeah. in, and partly that's probably because of BAFTA. Yeah, You know, the, totally. the British voters. Yeah, and the one, I guess, that maybe I'd... I, yeah, I, I've been following along as, as you do throughout the year, but Cold War is that one that kind of snuck up on me and that I didn't realize it was such a contender for Best Direction, but um, that's cool. I'm excited to check it out at Lightbox. I know it's playing there, and um, it's the only one out of those those five I haven't seen or even out of the Best Picture contenders, too. I mean, Cold War didn't make it in for Best Picture, but out of the group that we're talking about right now. And, so, And he's also been gaining quite a bit of momentum, not just with cold war but his last movie ida um which i liked more than cold war um was the film that also inspired paul schrader to shoot first reformed in the academy uh ratio four by three um he was the first filmmaker to put uh emily blunt on the map with my summer of love back in 2005 so he has this really 
strong following as it is and this between this and Ida, which were both the four by three um films looking at the past and very personal films for him um are movies that have kind of generated a a much larger fan base Mm -hmm, for sure and he feels like an old school like a tour filmmaker like the art house foreign filmmakers of the past like the akira kurosawa's and the fellinis and 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 the ozus and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so an interesting group but again like there's nothing there Uh, i like seeing spike lee there obviously like you mentioned him getting his first directing nomination um for me i guess that's who i would maybe want to take that and then for best picture um i honestly i i said this someone tweeted it out but i'm like i don't really want to cheer for green book anymore because i think people's criticisms are valid even if i liked it i don't think it should be necessarily rewarded not right. saying that or those... just people within the film that aren't named mahershal right. are saying really stupid stuff or yeah. doing stupid exactly stuff. and like, like i know so, a lot more i'm so people... disappointed in vigo like yeah. vigo's one of those guys that i always thought was a very level-headed um pragmatic kind of guy that was smart and and sort of you know under understanding and compassionate and some of the stuff he has been saying this award season is just like somebody's replaced Vigo Mortensen with like this thing yeah. like this it's not it's not really him <laughs> it's bizarre man um, maybe it's just the movie maybe it just brings out the worst <laughs> in people oh god so yeah i don't know i i know you um you've been very loud about this but roma all the way for you and yeah uh, i mean not that i'm like roma needs to win everything i know i would be very happy if spike lee won director i mean that would be a great moment because you know that he is going to say some stuff on (laughs) oh it's gonna be great yeah so i really kind of hope that uh he takes that and then um it'll be fascinating though like I still am leaning towards Roma probably taking Best Picture, um, but we'll see how it evolves in the next couple months. And we'll do official predictions um, yeah. closer. And it would also be interesting just because I don't think anything has ever won like a foreign, foreign language, language film yeah. for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, and it'll also be interesting to see if Roma wins foreign language film because right. does that you know make it stronger or weaker when – when you consider that, because that'll be announced before Best Picture. Yeah, so let's go into there then. Um, uh, Roma is obviously leading the pack in foreign language film, but we also have uh, Capernaum, um, Cold War, Shoplifters, and Never Look Away. Yes. Um, so as, And as you said, Justice for Burning, yeah, as you tweeted I know. out earlier. Yeah, I mean, again, Burning, a movie that um, uh, originally I was kind of like, eh, maybe not my thing, a little too long. Took, uh, but the more I sat on it, the more I thought about Burning, the more I enjoyed Burning, and the more I went, fuck, Burning's a great movie. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't realize that South Korea has never been um, nominated for, nope. uh, for a foreign language uh, Oscar, which is unfortunate, and that trend continues. Yeah, um, and Shoplifters is the first Asian film in nearly a decade to be nominated. That's crazy, man. And there's been so much like great cinema. Yeah, right? well, especially like, in just, South Korea. Yeah. Some of the greatest filmmakers working today are from South Korea, and it just boggles my mind. Like, Bong Joon-ho better get in next year for Paris. Yeah, <laughs> like, fuck, I don't man. care if it's even good. Like, I just yeah. feel like, like They South deserve Korea it at this point. It's almost yeah. as like an honorary award for the last right. 20 years of filmmaking there. So do you see them maybe going with something like a Cold War or something, or over Shoplifters. Shoplifters? I think Shoplifters then... is the one film that Coriata has made that has really touched 
everybody that has seen that movie. Yeah, I still like, really I need to see it. You will you will really like it. It's not a movie that I would watch in a five movie day. No, um, no, no. Like I think that's what you suggested setting. during yeah. the festival. Yeah. You're like maybe wait and see this. But. but it's a very humane, understanding, compassionate piece of filmmaking that I don't think I've run into anybody that has said they didn't like the movie. That's great. That's great to hear. So I I, I I'm with you that if Roma looks like it's going to win Best Picture, I could see them giving this to another movie. If Roma wins Foreign Language, I'd be like, yeah. oh, I don't know if it's going to win Best also, Picture. Also, um, Florin Heckel von Donnersmark uh, won. That is a name and a half. Uh, won, That's a great name. One back in 2007 for The yeah. Lives of Others. Okay. So I don't think uh, Never Look Away will will win. Fair. Um that man's hair is amazing. Is it? I don't His know name is amazing yeah. too. So. Um, but he, it, it's one of those things that's funny because like the lives of others is a masterpiece and both that and Pan's Labyrinth were nominated in the same year. And then lives of others came out in 2007 afterwards. Um, but unfortunately he got thrown into the Hollywood machine where some foreign filmmakers, when they get the Hollywood movie, it never translates well. And his, kind of shot at the the hollywood movie was the horrible uh the tourist oh really that was him yeah oh wow yeah that happens way too often it does eh? and then that's unfortunate but i mean it looks like he's back and right. i for, again, for almost a four hour movie is it have you German. seen it yet no it's no. one of the few movies i still have like i'll get to it before uh uh the, the, Oscars, the academy yeah. awards but it's the four hour movie about germany right I mean, I, I mean, my family's from Germany. I feel like, uh, and again, leading into, we'll go, let's go into cinematography because, um, that's one where it completely caught me off guard. Um, not that I, I just, I hadn't heard much about Never Look Away. Um, we'll play to TIFF. It, yeah. But I just, I, again, it was completely off my radar, but then, um, the cinematography nominees, you have, uh, Cold War, uh, The Favorite, uh, Never Look Away, Roma, and a star is born. It's um, a very internet again, very international yeah, I was gonna grouping say that, of yeah. films, um, and very uh, predominantly European uh, for the most part, with the exception of Roma and a star is born. Um, although Matthew Libatique might be out of that uh, conversation uh, because of him attacking <laughs> hey, police got the officers nomination in, still. in Poland, uh, of all places. Um, so Cold War is coming for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but Never Look Away is interesting because it um, Caleb Deschanel shot the movie and Caleb Deschanel is uh, Zoe Deschanel's father. And this is, again, a movie where like this is the one that came out of nowhere. And, and I actually kind of thought that the favorite wouldn't get nominated because the cinematography with the fisheye lenses is a little very yeah. divisive. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting crop here. Cause, um, I don't know what I would have maybe, what didn't get in that people thought might for cinematography. Good question. I'm trying um, to think of the movies I really liked last year that were shot really nicely, but, um, it's okay if you don't have anything off the top of your head, but uh, it's a, a very interesting crop of, of Oh, Beale uh, street. If yes. Beale Street could talk, James Lyons. That was the one was... Nevis was very upset about. And I agree, yeah. like, as much as I was, again, tepid on Beale Street, I think it's a luscious, gorgeous, gorgeously shot movie. Right. So. And even Linus. Not saying that these movies aren't. Right. But yeah. And even Linus Sandgren, uh, for. Because I know there are supporters of the cinematography for First Man. Yes. Were complaining as well about that. Well, you know my stance on that. But, but it is also interesting that for Score. 
Uh, Nicholas Patel got nominated for If Beale Street Could Talk, which I think you also agree that you really like the, the score, score and the cinematography. I think but are the great. score for First Man didn't get nominated. Which, I know, which is also a great score. Yeah. And I again, I don't love the cinematography in First Man because I felt it nauseating. So I can kind of see that if people were more on my side of of things. But the score in First Man is quite excellent, and the Beale Street score is uh, something else. So let's go into that then. Let's go into. Um, uh, best original score in the in the song categories. Do you have it pulled up? Yep. Sorry, I'm trying to find it. So the nominees um, are uh, Black Panther, Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, Isle of Dogs, and Mary Poppins Returns. So a couple weird ones on there for me. Um, Mary Poppins Returns, the score. I don't like. I guess they're talking. I just I just don't understand that. Um, right. I I understand it's a musical, but. That doesn't necessarily mean the orchestral score is. I mean, I guess it's. Well, sometimes it comes hand in hand. I guess because it's the backing to it. Yeah. And, and so it's like, like well, that, if we. So. But then it. But then sometimes it doesn't because you look at sound mixing and editing. A Quiet Place only got one of those two nominations and not both, so that doesn't always apply to it. Where you can distinguish, you know, uh, one category from the other when you're when you're nominating um, a film. I also think that uh, um, Black Klansman getting in was kind of a bit of a surprise. Yeah, there's one that I don't... I, I remember the score being good, but I it's not memorable to right. me. I almost remember the, the end of the movie, the score being more pivotal just because it's like that transition that it makes from, you know, the from the past to the present and how things haven't changed is kind of this ultimate gut punch in the final few moments of the movie where we're seeing footage from Charlottesville. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's when the score really chimes in quite a bit and you kind of feel the impact of the movie through the music, through uh, Terrence Blanchard's um, orchestra. And, and, and I just feel that, like, other than that, I can't remember. I can remember the music, the sourced music right. that's used, but not specifically... Um, his score, which again isn't a bad thing. Like if I'm, I'm sure if I were to listen to it um, on its, its own, own it's yeah. it's great. Which then, I'm gonna do. I love doing that. Like I'll, I'll, other than Mary Poppins, which I thought was fine, but I don't have any desire to listen to that again. Right. But, well, especially um, the Meryl Streep song. Oh God, I hate that. Um, and then I think the Isle of Dogs um, score is great. I, the only nomination no also animated film. animated yeah. yeah so um let's go into animated then or do you want to go through the other musical categories well, yeah let's we should go that. through song uh so original song you have um all the stars from black panther um so kendrick lamar, kendrick lamar is, is an academy is, yeah. award nominee attaboy attaboy um all fight from rbg uh we have the place where lost things go from uh, mary poppins returns shallow from a star is born and uh when a cowboy trades his spurs yeah. for rings from uh the ballad of buster scruggs that i think is my personal favorite just because again i didn't think that the ballad of buster scruggs would be um nominated for as much as it was um netflix and, and, man and Killing that was it. one of the ca- and that was one of the categories i mean that song in the first segment with uh, Tim Blake Nelson is amazing, and I do hope that he comes on stage in that <laughs> uh, that full cowboy regalia, singing like yeah. that song, and, and and hopefully floating away. Um, and then, but I mean, obviously, when it comes down to it, I think this is going to be um, where A Star Is Born wins a hundred percent. And I think this is where Lady Gaga will will win her Oscar, and she'll cry before going on stage as she has at every single. <laughs> 
awards show and and, and i don't when you to try do... 99 times in the world. right right and i don't I, like i mean it's 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 a really wonderful moment she worked extremely hard it's a great song like it's extremely catchy and hard to get out of your head but i just feel that the crying thing and cooper's reactions to everything are so they're, they're not genuine like they don't feel like they're really coming from them as people they're just this performances facade. Yeah. yeah it's just a facade and that's what i think's kind of hurt cooper in the long run in terms of just him actually winning something yeah um i agree with you i'm not i mean again i like lady gaga um she seems like a nice enough person and it might be genuine but maybe embellished a little bit you know what i mean like it's still probably a big deal to her right right closer to that egot (laughs) right right um did she win for american horror story does she already have an emmy yeah i think she did gold globe yeah oh not an emmy though i don't know whatever who cares um uh then sound because i remember she won the globe because remember when she walked past leonardo dicaprio he made that face and it became a gift oh right (laughs) um and then let's go sound editing and sound uh mixing so almost the same nominees just uh one film in each got swapped out so for editing you got black panther bohemian rhapsody first man a quiet place and roma and then for sound mixing you have black panther bohemian rhapsody first man roma and star is born so you saw a star is born in quiet place kind of trade out for editing and mixing right Uh, which i actually thought a quiet place would get nominated for for both um but yeah it is interesting that uh other than that they're they pretty much line up um again the bohemian rhapsody thing like i guess if you are going to nominate it somewhere the mixing of the editing i would be fine with that but then i would have been fine with that if that's all it had (laughs) right right because it's not actually just freddie mercury's voice they're using that youtube it's a technical thing and it was great lip syncing i'm not Right. denying that like it was and yeah there was a, you said well, it's, it's, like a it's mix good of, enough to fool people yeah. into thinking that's acting and directing yeah. and editing yeah i know and putting so. them into other categories and some people just look at it well it was an entertaining film and that's good enough for me to vote for it yeah that's fine uh where do you want to go from now let's quickly visual effects because yes. i have that up uh infinity war i mean it's great to see it show up there. Christopher Robin, um, which I think is an interesting one for the um, visual effects on uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh and his friends. Uh, First Man um, makes sense. Uh, Ready Player One got in there, um, which is cool. And Solo, A Star Wars Story. So obviously the only nominations for uh, Infinity War, Player One, and Solo. And Christopher uh, Robin. And Christopher Robin, yeah. So. Can we switch out Solo for Paddington or something? I'd like... <laughs> I again, I think Solo's still impressive from a visual uh, effects standpoint. I mean, you got to think most of that movie is probably. Um, I, I'm with you. I would have taken Paddington over Christopher Robin, maybe, right. um, because I, I don't think you're going to get Paddington and Christopher Robin. Right. Just two animated bear movies. They're just like they, you only choose one. What bear uh, bared at all? Um, um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I to be honest, I think in this category, I mean, I really like First Man, but. I cannot deny um, the motion capture work of Josh Brolin and in just Infinity the, War. In, the incredible amount of effects in Infinity War, yeah. I got to think. And like how polished they look and how I really do think that movie, uh, Marvel keeps getting better and better at it. But it's so ambitious and well, so gigantic. Well, they're into the places like, that they yeah. need to put money into, yeah. especially with visual effects and cinematography where that was lacking in the first 
couple of phases. Where yeah, now I agree. They're actually looking at the production value itself and not just the star power of throwing a big name actor in the lead role. And I think Ready Player One gets in there because half of the movie is CG, and I don't right. necessarily and it's, it's think it's the one it, that like, is the most. Yes, or that's the what I mean. Extra, the one so, that like, is. I all, I like Ready Player One. I, I like know. it a, a, a lot, but I. Uh, out of those, I actually think it probably has the weakest special effects. Just, but I understand that that's what the game is supposed to look like. But anyways, I agree with you that it's because it has the most in it that yeah. it probably and it's Spielberg and, and it probably won some people over that way too. But uh, where do you want to go? Writing? Yeah, let's go with writing. Let's go to writing. Um, adapted screenplay. We got the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. So Joel and Ethan Cohen are in there again. Yep. Uh, Black Klansman. Um, can you ever forgive me? Uh, if Beale Street could talk and a star is born for adapted screenplay. Um, anything that stands out here for you or anything that you wish kind of, um, I think this is a, a pretty good group of films. Um, it's, it's nice to see that Beale Street made it, uh, into this category. Um, I really like that ballad Buster Scruggs did as well. They, I mean, I remember when it, it's kind of almost very similar to, it's because they sent those nice books out. To everyone, yeah. Right? Uh, when, when, um, uh, oh Brother, Where Art Thou was nominated. It was also nominated for song and uh, adapted screenplay because they kind of based it loosely on uh, Homer's Odyssey. Right. Um, so it's kind of the same trajectory for this. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then it is also interesting that, you know, you look at Black Klansmen, uh, the majority of these writers are, are, are white in the same way that like Straight Outta Compton was written by a bunch of white people. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Um, yeah, I'm I'm fine with this group. I would have liked. But then to a see... star is born is the one I would maybe swap out with something like. I would have liked to see Spider Verse in here. Yeah, I um, I agree. Or like, I mean, he keeps saying that it's original, but I mean, he did publish it as a paperback uh, novel. Um, sorry to bother you. I mean, yeah, that could have been an adapted screenplay. Right. Um, and then in original screenplay, we have The Favorite, uh, First Reformed, you. Uh, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Yes. Um, uh, Paul Schrader, never nominated for an Academy Award. His whole career, first nomination. The work that he did with Scorsese, never nominated his own work. Um, when Affliction was nominated for and he'll Best lose act. to Green Book. <laughs> no, he, I, well, he could. I mean, I think, the, I think he'll lose... Because he's his own worst enemy. Like right. I think he could win. Like if he really wanted to try. I don't think he cares though. No. Either. No, I don't. I don't think so either. But it is nice to see a career be rewarded. But at the same time, the thing that he is nominated should be nominated. Like it's not just oh well, we never nominated you. We should nominate you for something. So this is what we'll nominate you for. This is actually worthy of that nomination. Yeah. Um. And I mean, first reform. It's unfortunate that this is the only place it really showed up. Yeah, right? and this is the only thing that A twenty four was nominated for this. Oh year. yeah, because the other film that that they had that was competing for this for a spot in this eighth category grade. was eighth grade, and this again goes to that conversation that we were having that you know um, a, a new diverse younger international group of academy members making much of a difference or, or not at all because eighth grade would be one of those films that you would think that a younger diverse international group would champion or try to support you know yeah. especially from a younger 
filmmaker who's not even in his 30s yet. I would have loved to see Academy Award nominee Bo Burnham. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even just with Kumel Nanjiani announcing that category this morning when he said, you know, like, I want to take this. Like, this is where both him and Emily V. Gordon were nominated uh, the year before for The Big Sick. Um, you you were suspecting, oh, well, the reason why he wanted to take it is because he wanted to give this shout out to Bo Burnham, who's one of his buddies, who was in The Big Sick. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was a shame. I, I think Bo Burnham will get there eventually. Like, if Eighth Grade is his first film, like, we've got a plenty, like, he's got plenty of time to make great movies and, and, and you right, know, like, he's scripts, young. Yeah. And, but I can also see that as, like, ageism working against him, where it's like, he's so young, we can just nominate him another time when he's when he's a little older and ready. Right, for sure. Let's go into... Let's do the documentaries. Sure. Big surprise in this one, too. Right. So we have Free Solo... Uh, Hale County this morning, this evening, uh, Minding the Gap. Our, uh, this is documentary feature, sorry. Yes. Um, of Fathers and Sons in RBG. Uh, so Won't you be my neighbor? I've actually seen one of these. What do you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm garbage. I'm really I'm garbage. I did see Free Solo, though, at um, TIFF. Uh, and it's playing in IMAX actually right yeah. now. Well, you too. saw it before TIFF. You saw it, yeah. the, like the the, the pre screening. Pre screening. So it's it's. Uh, I kind of thought that it might stick around. Uh, it's it's good. Well, um, but a lot of people are seeing it, and a lot of people are seeing it in the theater because they want the they, big screen. And, yeah, I mean, it just got an IMAX experience. release. Like IMAX usually, unless it's a nature thing that plays at the Science Center, they don't usually release documentaries in IMAX. And chances um, are it'll stick around a little bit now because of that nomination. Yeah, I think it got extended at Cinesphere for another week because uh, Nevis wants to go see it in IMAX, yeah. and uh, she hasn't had a chance yet. But God, um, that subject, he's, he's a He's he's, he's garbage. Person. Yeah, I mean he I, he kind of won me over by the end where I'm well, like, his all right, dedication he's just kind of like what he is doing. Yeah, but he's kind of a dick to everyone. Yeah, right? how he treats others, especially his girlfriend, is is horrible. Is is bad. Yeah, but it is a it's an exciting documentary. I mean that last climb is is something yeah. i wish um, i did see it on the big screen because i just saw a screen like yeah it, so. on dvd on your um but it is good it is a good movie and 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 it still works like the suspense is there and, and even though you know he's yeah fine yeah um yeah you wanted to mention uh a couple docs that didn't make it in right? yeah won't um, you be my neighbor yeah. was the big one that that three identical strangers is the other one too, yeah right? but i mean won't you be my neighbor like i remember last year at this time when it played at sundance it was you know like oh Morgan Neville has made the feel-good, you know, movie of the year. The film that it was kind of dubbed in the the IndieWire article of Nice Core with Paddington 2 is the film you need to see to be a better human being. Right. Um, Neither movie got anything. Yeah, yeah. And Well, but I mean, this was like, oh, this is the front. This is like, this is. You know, every other nominee is just lucky to be there. So now looking at. doesn't even make it in. Yeah. Yeah. So now looking at these five. I think it's down to RBG and Free Solo, um, although Minding the Gap is great, um, and, I, and I would like to... I do want to see that, actually. You would really like it. Um, it's kind of what I wanted um, mid-90s to be, and it takes a completely different turn from what the storyline is. Um, Hale County this morning, this evening... I liked it, but it's the most experimental one, and it's the strangest one on this category, I would say, because it's 
it's almost like the 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 uh, approach is if it were like a Terrence Malick film. Interesting. But you're kind of like focused on this small, impoverished African American community in in the U.S. Um, and it's done in such a way that isn't um, objective, but just more observational. That's cool. Yeah, uh, it's playing Tiff right now. Yeah, and it's so. it's good. It's really it's it's really well done. But it's a weird one just because it's like that's the one out of like any of the 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 shortlisted movies that I was like ah, I mean that's lucky that I even got on the right, shortlist fair. and now it's into the into the five. But this category has always been strange because like they'll nominate films that are more obscure <laughs> for the commercial hits because. You know, like the past, you know, movies like Hoop Dreams wasn't nominated because it was too uh, critically beloved. And some of the people that are in this um, group are resentful of any commercial success. It's true. Michael Moore, for the longest time, was never getting nominated for any of his stuff. Yeah. Like when Roger and Me came out, like that was considered to be, again, like, you know, a a no-brainer in terms of a, a documentary nomination. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's go into animated feature film. Sure. Um, Incredibles two, uh, Isle Isle of Dogs. Uh, I love dogs. Yes. Uh, Mirai. Yep. Um, Ralph breaks the internet. Um, and Spider Man into the Spider Verse. So, uh, love to see my boys Phil Lord and Chris Miller get a nomination as producers on Spider Verse. Um, I think I've, this is their first nominations too. I believe so. Yeah, because they got snubbed for the Lego Movie. Yep. None of the Jump Street movies got nominated. <laughs> uh, but long time coming. I think those those two guys I think are some of the smartest guys working in Hollywood right now. And um. I, I really do think that um, they are incredible writers and very clever directors. And um, I mean, they didn't direct Spider Verse, but obviously were integral to the uh, the entire thing. And they got the um, right people together. Yeah. They they're very collaborative. And in a way, I, I feel that this is a nice kind of like uh, f you to Disney. If yeah, they win. to yeah. Lawrence Kasdan and Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. Being like, Hey, hey, yeah. You could have had this as so like this. We could have beat been... your Disney movies yeah. if they end up beating them, right? Because Disney has two nominations with the Pixar film oh, God, Incredibles really two and just, just same, out of spite. Right, just out of spite. <laughs> you wanted to see our solo movie, it would have been better than just vanilla pudding. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, I, I don't hate solo, it's just kind of whatever. Yeah, but, and, and it's um, easy to make. At least Ron theirs Howard, would have but... been either an incredible disaster or like it would have um, been memorable. Yeah. Because even if it was bad, you would have been like, that was weird or something. Right. But like but then we see with Spider-Verse, and I think we've seen time and time again with, well, it's the reason they got hired with the Jump Street movies and the Lego movie and, and even Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and things like that. That, uh, But, it, yeah, maybe it was just too big for them, but that's a whole other conversation. I really, really do hope. I mean, I love everything on this list. I need to see Mirai, but um, it's good. I, I, I do really love isla dogs and i really enjoyed ralph breaks the internet and i really really enjoyed incredibles too so uh, a really good crop of animated films this year but uh, spider verse it just it has to win man it right. just has to <laughs> i think it will I, I i think it's one of those movies that just is continuing to yeah. gain momentum and like the more people see it the more people love it and i think there's maybe a bit of a hesitation at first because like oh an animated spider-man movie like really like i keep I keep telling my mom, okay? This is a story. I'm throwing my mom under the bus right now. She's like, I'm going to see Aquaman with my friends. And I'm like, stop. It's not a bad movie. Aquaman's fine. But you need to go. I keep telling her, I'm like, you need to go see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. She's like, 
I don't like cartoons. And I was like, Mom, listen to me. It's a better superhero movie than Aquaman. Aquaman is more of a cartoon than Spider-Man is. Right. And I and she just won't do it. So I'll force her to eventually watch it when it goes on streaming services or something. And then she'll be like, wow, that was incredible. And I'll be like, I told you. Um, not that Aquaman's a bad movie, but this is the thing that I'm talking about where people are just like a little hesitant, right? Because right. they're like, I don't it's a kid's movie or it's a but it's, it's a not that's the yeah. that's the secret behind this film is that it's a movie for everybody yep and it's the and it goes into the saying that anybody can wear the mask exactly and it's it's literally the more i think about it the more i mean i love mission impossible fallout but we were talking about our top 25 lists and how it's already kind of changed since we made them at the end of december right it's only right. been a month but as you reflect on things i might think spider-man i think i love fallout i think they're hand in hand depending on the day you put them in front of me I, yeah it depends I, what you want to yeah, watch exactly right? but they're both i think almost perfect movies for me personally um and you even said that you you almost would maybe after rethinking it and seeing it a few times now that you might throw it on your list as well right? yeah yeah so. i saw it again with uh with my brother um kyle and he he does not like Marvel movies, right? Or superhero and he films loved this, right? For the most part, yeah. And he thought it was amazing. He thought it was the Spider-Man that he had grown up watching, and like, you know, the cartoons and and uh, the comic books. Like, it felt mm-hmm. like it was a true representation. I agree completely yeah. of what Spider-Man could be and should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's wrap it up with uh, the big acting categories. And then some of the smaller stuff. Sorry, guys, we didn't go over costume and and, and Sandy production. Sandy Powell, though, yeah. nominated for the favorite. Good for her. And Mary Poppins Returns. Good for her. Um, she shows up all the time, right? Yeah, well, she's, then, she's won, yeah. I think, three. Yeah. Um, so She'll probably win this year, too. By all means, um, check out all the nominations, but let's go through the acting. So I'm just going to go through all the acting nominees, and we can talk about the crop altogether. So uh, actor in a leading role, we have Christian Bale for Vice. We have Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born. We have Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate. We have Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. We have Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. Uh, for actress in a leading role, we have Yalitza Apricio uh for roma we have glenn close for the wife we have olivia coleman for the favorite we have lady gaga for a star is born and we have melissa mccarthy for can you ever forgive me uh supporting uh role by an actor we have mahershala ali for green book we have adam driver for black klansman we have sam elliott for a star is born we have richard e grant for can you ever forgive me and we have sam rockwell for vice and then actress in a supporting role we have amy adams in vice we have marina de tavira for roma we have regina king for if beale street could talk we have emma stone and rachel vice for uh the favorite separate nominations not together (laughs) um nominated duo um okay so uh let's go over everything here i mean a couple surprises um what seems again like there was one slot in each of these categories that was kind of open for a surprise or not completely set in stone for you know what had been nominated in other award shows yeah and um it's nice to see i mean melissa mccarthy that's her second nomination, second nomination right yep. because she had one for bridesmaids for supporting yep. right um yalitia apricio um i didn't I guess, again, I remember I only saw half of Roma and I've been kind of out of the Roma talk, but I didn't think that either actresses were going to show up, but both of them got in, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, especially for uh, Marina uh, de Tavrera, um, who 
again, like, you know, um, Apricio did show up for uh, the Critics' Choice Award. She was nominated there, at least. Right, those don't, no, one no, no, I, I know. <laughs> I'm giving I know, you but shit. I, you know I'm I mean, joking. But I mean in terms of, like, any kind of um, I know. I, major... I, yeah consideration where she hadn't at all and a lot of people were projecting that it was that claire foy was probably the fifth spot for first man um and yeah that i mean that kind of came out of nowhere but i mean alfonso Cuarón has continually said in every interview he has done in every um you know every award ceremony that he's won that they are the heart and soul of the film and you know, people were paying attention to that. And I think with Roma being the film that it is, I mean, it's it's getting those 10 nominations and being a Best Picture nominee, the actors had to look at the performances. And the performances are very understated. And the mm-hmm. performances are very real and lived in compared to, you know, the over-the-top nature or the, 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 the stardom or celebrity of, of some of the bigger performances. So it's a nice balance between you know, uh, star names and, 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 you know, very authentically lived in work. Yeah. And I think for me, um, Sam Elliott and Sam, both Sam's getting in for, uh, supporting is, um, interesting to me. Sam Rockwell's the one that like, again, I, I really like vice a lot. Well, and both I think Sam's he's... are not in yeah. their movies that much. Especially Rockwell. Like, right. Rockwell has, like, really two, two scenes. scenes. And um, he's doing a good George Bush, but... Yeah, but how much of it is just an impersonation or an impression? Yeah. Where I think Elliot, I mean, at least is giving... An emotional An emotional yeah. performance and a very complex sort of developed character and sort of how he relates to his brother and how he feels towards his brother's career and especially the relationship not being brothers and more so like a surrogate father son kind of thing um where and again for sam elliott it's like ben johnson and the last picture show where it's almost rewarding a career because this is sam elliott's first nomination um a career that has been he's been working since the late 1960s he was a a bit player in butch cassidy and the sundance kid and you know so it's it's kind of honoring his whole career yeah um, um yeah I, I love seeing that one scene in the car where is just fantastic and um i think sam elliott is excellent and so is adam driver and mahershala is obviously amazing and green but adam driver again um, it's kind of funny where it's like it's almost like do the right thing where the one acting nomination that's the white the right, guy yeah <laughs> is, is 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 danny aiello and do the right thing and it's adam driver in 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 this where i mean i don't think spike lee was ever going to be nominated for do the right thing for best actor but john david washington was was really good in in black klansman and and i think maybe part of it was nepotism just because of they thought like oh well you know he's the son of denzel washington like but like that it is a great performance and if you watch the film more than once you really focus on him the second time especially him sort of fighting his you know his his life his career as a police officer but also his identity as a black man and sort of those emotions being kind of at, at odds with one another and and it's a really strong performance and it's also very funny at times yeah too. i agreed completely uh, do you i mean i guess i would bump 
Rami Malik just because I don't or I haven't seen it at Eternity's Gate yet. Um, Willem Dafoe. I mean, I really, if anything, I am happy that Defoe. This is Defoe's first Best Actor nomination. He's been nominated now in total four times. The three previous and last year for Florida Project, which I think he kind of probably should have won for that. I mean, I liked Sam Rockwell in th- Three Billboards and thought he was amazing in it, but. Do you think that's why Rockwell got the nomination this year too? Yeah, sometimes a, that does happen where it's just it's repetition. Still fresh in people's mind yeah, and, and also, I mean, Rockwell is one of those guys that he has done so much great work in his whole career that it took them this long to nominate him for anything. So now they're just giving it to yeah, him. Yeah, so now, so I mean, and people have said that about Bale, where like it took him forever to get nominated for The Fighter, where he was doing great, or Philip Seymour Hoffman, even, where they were doing great work. You know, way before they were nominated for the films that they were. And then were. finally, when they get that first one, they just start kind of getting them for Exactly, everything. exactly. They just become almost like the default nominees, right? The placeholders in each Meryl category. Street. <laughs> yeah, no, even she would say I that. Know, like, yeah. it's, but, but it's true. But, but the thing with Streep, though, that's different is that Streep was being nominated right from the I beginning. I get it. No, I, you know, right? that's just an ongoing joke. Yeah. I actually think Meryl Streep is a lovely woman and right, a right. great actress. But no, but, but what like, I'm saying in terms of the comparison is that, like, Streep was nominated for The Deer Hunter back when she first started. So she's always been... So she wasn't waiting for it. No, like, no. Where, where, where Bale and Rockwell were guys that, you know, like... Bale probably should have been nominated for American Psycho and Rescue Dawn. And, and, and Rockwell's been in... Like, I mean, everybody was talking about... Even if you didn't like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Iron he, Man Two, no, Iron Man Two, um, <laughs> that he should have been nominated. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, like even even bit parts in like Galaxy Quest, and right. Stuff like that, he's he's always no. See, I love I love Sam Rockwell. Um, yeah. So so now like he's just going to be nominated for any any role that he's in, that whether it be dramatic or 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 a dramedy or what have you. Mm-hmm. So. We'll probably see in the next couple of years him showing up a, a couple more times. But uh, I'm also kind of relieved that Timothy Chalamet did not get in. Uh, not same. because I don't like – I like Timothy Chalamet, but that movie is Doesn't horrible. deserve to get any <laughs> recognition at all. Yeah, and if films like Widows aren't being nominated, then Beautiful Boy does not deserve even one uh, nomination, um, which it did not get. But then, again, like you look at like Best Supporting Actress, like the one that – would would not the one person that would not get nominated but deserves to be there I think in my opinion is is Natalie Portman for for Vox Lux um, and then also I mean we have to talk about I think in in the supporting categories is category fraud um, Mahershala Ali and uh, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz are debatably lead roles I know I I mean I like seeing all three women from the favorite get in because right. I do think. All three performances are great, but and you just can't put all three of them in leading, or else right. this wouldn't. But, but like... at the same time, you also have to then acknowledge that it might take away from somebody that is an actual supporting. Agreed. Performance. I, I I completely agree with you. Um, again, and S- Sam Rockwell's is barely a supporting role; it's more of a cameo. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's just like, and I'm not saying that you can't give a great performance in in a very limited amount of screen time. And again, I love Sam Rockwell, and I really enjoyed him. And in his Vice. bush is good. Oh, it's great. But like, I just I feel like there you could have used that slot. I think to maybe give it to someone like Michael some, B. Jordan. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan, Black Panther, Brian Tyree Henry, and Beale Street. A yeah. lot of people really liked um, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, yeah. 
and widows. widows. Like there's so like how Steven can you, Yoon in burning. Oh, in burning. Like how <laughs> how are you telling me? No offense to Sam Rockwell, and again, I I like Vice, but come on, that's one where I'm just like I. It's a good bush and it's funny and it's like, it, but <laughs> it it's it's a funny. good bush. Sorry, um, <laughs> but it is a good bush and um, it's just maybe not an award-winning bush. Or there's no there's no nominee. depth or really like interesting angle on the character other than Rockwell is just doing a good impersonation of that. Which again, nothing wrong with that. It's a fun performance. I kind of do wish there was maybe one or two more scenes with him. Agreed. But, you almost but, but want those, more. But those but... people that we just named, all those guys that we just named, give fucking amazing performances. Yeah, like the Michael B. Movies. Jordan thing is so critical to Black Panther because and that movie all... got so many nominations. And how do you not choose one actor from it as yeah. like kind of well, especially as a villain? Like yeah. I, to me, like that. That character has a very convincing argument, and he wins you over, and at least you you have empathy for for him, and and that's tough to do when you're when you're creating a bad guy. And you're then right. Daniel Kalula, Kaluuya is just a fucking psychopath in yeah. Widows, and he's awesome. And then and the like, subtle psychopath of Stephen um, Yoon in oh, Burning yeah, is, is amazing as well. I know. So um, yeah, I guess I'm with you there. Um, and again, I haven't seen Can You Ever Forgive Me, but uh, both performances are supposed to be... Uh, Richard E. Great. Grant is very delightful. I don't know if it's a great performance, whether it's just more you know, personality and charm. And also Richard E. Grant's one of these guys like Sam Elliott that's been working for such a long time. And like especially in the 90s, he was in every other movie under the sun after you know the success of With Nail and I. Um, so it's almost like, uh, again... Um, we're rewarding you for your career and your right. contribution to film. But it is a good performance. I don't want to take that away from him either. And it is a real supporting performance. Agreed. Uh, quickly, if there's anything else we want to talk about, I haven't seen The Wife, so I'm not sure uh, about Glenn Close's performance. Uh, Lady Gaga, I think she's good in A Star is Born. And, I think it comes down um, to Glenn Close and Olivia Coleman for Best Actress. Right. And I think Close could win not because she's undeserving and I think she is the best part of that movie. I mean, it's it is that role that makes the whole film. But she's been now nominated 7 times. Never won? Never won. Yeah. And you know, sometimes when you're quote unquote due, you know, you're due. You're due. And it's the same thing even with Amy Adams. You know, Amy Adams now has been officially nominated 6 times, never won. Um although I could see her becoming Glenn Close where it's like you know, this is your this is six nominations. Whatever you get nominated for next, will will award you with. And and I think if she doesn't win for for Vice, I think Regina King could win for If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, she'll probably be in the awards race next year for uh, the Woman in the Window, the Joe Wright movie. Yeah. Um, which then that could be her obligatory. We've got to give you the uh, the Oscar now because we you've been nominated for so many times. And and then again, I mean, she's also been snubbed for stuff. I mean, she should have been nominated for Catch Me If You Can and also um, more recently Arrival. Agreed. And then Christian Bale will probably take. Yeah, I think Bale is going to win. And it's funny that Bale has only ever been nominated for movies directed by either Adam McKay or David O. Russell. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adam McKay, man, yeah, Good nominated for, for three awards this year yeah. for best picture, directing, and and screenplay, and just behind uh, 
Curon who had four nominations this year, right? Yeah. Which is the most ever for someone in one film. Yeah, and and the one category he didn't get nominated for that a lot of people thought he would be in as well for is editing. Yeah. Um. So you know, Bohemian Rhapsody got nominated for editing. Does that mean it's going to win Best Picture? Let's hope not. But if it does, in the end, it doesn't really matter. No. Ah, perfect. Yeah, you know what? Um, we'll do an official predictions episode, although we kind of extensively went over um, what we think. But I think we should play, um, uh, do a little Oscar pool between myself and and, and Eric here um, right before the Oscar. So stay tuned for that. Again, exhausted. I know we just talked for an hour about the Oscars, but um, I still get excited. Like as much as it's exhausting and it doesn't really mean that much in the end, it's still it gives a little bit of boost to movies that maybe people wouldn't necessarily have checked out before, um, before this. And, and then it gets some, I mean, seeing black Panther in there is, is really cool for a a huge superhero fan. Right. Well, we were, we were, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but earlier or last year, you know, the Academy making that boneheaded decision to include a best popular film but they've incorporated a number of movies with bohemian rhapsody stars born black panther yeah that have made over a hundred million dollars that people have seen so when it comes to the award show now if ratings are down they can't say that well it wasn't because we didn't have popular movies nominated yeah but I, i i i get what you're saying but i feel like just having Black Panther and maybe Bohemian Rhapsody and Stars Born isn't really gonna save it from a ratings perspective. Like, Saying they didn't nominate Venom, um, yeah. Um, but when you look at uh, the rest, I mean, they're all yeah. I don't know, man. It's 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 very it, it's a strange year, but uh, there's nothing that I'm overly like. Yes, I, I other than maybe Spider Verse, but that's not really even like a oh I'm going out on a limb and right. and going for Spider Verse. I mean, again, that was the one movie that I would have liked to see surprise and and make it into Best Picture as an animated because I I do think we need a better balance of representation from everything from no women again in in for dr- directing for directing and yeah. like or um, any of the best picture films nominated yeah nominated that again are, directed like by women either. exactly or even a balance between um genres or different things like you don't ever see really documentaries or animated films really get in there we barely rarely see foreign language films i mean this year was a good showing from well I think, it's because the movie was films, too big but, and i do think that maybe one of like the like nine or ten movie would have been cold war uh for best picture because uh powell Pawlowski is 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 the lone uh director in the five that isn't represented in best picture either um but what i think they need to do moving forward um is not just think okay well you know there are categories for documentary and foreign language and animated film. Like if a movie is truly worthy of best picture, consider it for best picture. Just don't relegate it to its assigned category. Like it can be put in a a documentary and animated film, foreign language movie can be put into best picture. Um, It can also be nominated for directing. Like it's, there's no rules that say that that can't happen. But it never does. No, and it then, doesn't. And but I think people automatically the, say, yeah. well, because it has its own category, <laughs> I know. I'll just put it there. And that's but I don't, good enough. Yeah, I, I, and I don't like that. But I don't um, either. I don't and either. I, it just, I do think we need a better balance. And we are making, like you said, two steps forward, one step back. I mean, we are seeing uh, a, a bit of a more diverse 
crowd of of nominees but last year was great i think last year was it it felt like it was an actual change right like greta gerwig when 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 the safe movie is about a woman having sex with a fish man (laughs) is like your your safe play yeah like that says something about the crop of films that you have and it was kind of felt like you know we we were progressing there a little bit and, and, you know, like even seeing movies like get out and call me by your name in, in the best picture uh, race was again, like just a, a wonderful surprise here. You have a couple of things that feel like it's a continuation or in, in lady bird as well, obviously. And, and this year though, it feels like there's only a couple of those movies that are continuing it where again, like there's nothing wrong with a awards crowd pleaser movie. That's fine. But I mean, there were more movies that played this year, you know, like. So, I, I so continuing know. on this, maybe we won't talk about the the rest of the news or we'll just quickly go through it because I do have a couple questions for you that I wanted to talk about. We talked a little bit about the populist Oscar that they were going to introduce and, and, and things like that. What do you think they should do? Like, do you think it goes, it should go back to five and then. Yes. And then, yeah. Or 10. Exactly. Or just, and then. My other question to you is how do you solve some of the other issues with either ratings or, or diversity? And and because, again, like I'm not saying that this is the route, but just like do you have this? I don't want this to come out wrong, but this isn't necessarily what I'm saying you should do. But should you have a best male director and best female director? No, but I then, think that's but I you're breaking that, up performances. And right. I'm like, what's the difference between a acting performance and a and a performance as a director. And I'm just like, I, I get that that's just because that's what we've always done. Right. But I don't, I don't think that that is the right thing to do either. Cause I feel like that is three steps back of going, we're going to keep you separate. And yeah, well and, it's, it's a form of segregation yeah. within the awards consideration. But it's then like, we're we already doing that in other categories because then you're going to also get like, then it's going to, why isn't there just the best performance category? Right. Right. Best. But then also when you think like a category for men and women in directing, and then it's going to be like, Oh, well now we need a category specifically for, you know, best African American. That's what I mean. I, I knew that's where this was going to go. Yeah, and, and, then, and that's, and, and it's a weird thing. I think partly with the, with the acting categories, it's partly just to get as many people nominated but then as you that's can. why i'm saying as a suggestion as as how to fix this i don't think it necessarily fixes it but how does it add that into the awards right because right. and i'm and that's saying well but we're we're seeing time and time again that yes it was such a breath of fresh air when greta gerwig made it in or when Catherine bigelow got nominated um well or i like, think i think one thing specifically is people need maybe to, we're not the best people to talk right, about this but, either, I, but. I, the one thing i will say is i think people need to take into account that it's 12 months in a year it's not just september to december or the last couple of weeks of December. And but isn't that just in, a marketing problem of that's what studios It partly like. is, but it's also, it's it's become lazy with some awards voters where they'll leave everything to the last minute. And, and they only what, remember what they recently saw. What they recently saw or what they're hearing is buzzworthy. Right. If people kept, I'm not even saying like, Go the go the route of that what we do where we try to see as much as we can each week or 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 try to keep on track of it as critics because as we saw today not the best or never mind right 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 <laughs> but if if you keep a consistent kind of 
track on on what is being released through the year and hear about films that are of consideration then maybe that helps a little bit as well because i feel like that first half of the year for the most part unless it's just too big of a movie to ignore whether it be a silence of the lambs or fargo or grand budapest hotel um or get out are mostly ignored. Like I think if Black more Panthers pe- that one movie this <laughs> year. Yeah, yeah. Like I think if more people had seen Hereditary throughout the year or when it was released, people would have considered Tony Collette for for best actress per se or or Leave No Trace would have been in people's minds more than it than it was. Um, because people were starting to watch it in November and December, like awards bodies were like, "Oh, I find I'm I'm now watching all my screeners." Well, it's like, well, you could wa- you could have watched this back in in May. And I get a lot of people are busy because they're working. Right. When it comes into that industry, a lot of directors and actors and producers are are working on films, right? So they don't have a lot of time to to watch movies. So I mean, I remember seeing. Um, uh, some people on Twitter, some directors come home from working, and I think it was Lily uh, Amapur. What's her name? Oh, uh, the director of the Bad Batch. Yeah, and, uh, I remember seeing yeah. her Instagram stories of she came home from va- either vacation or working, and she just was like, "Oh shit, I came home," and there was just this pile of screeners on her floor um, because she was busy throughout the whole year, and then that's where she has to play catch up, right? right. And they can't. But there play- are also a lot of people that do procrastinate and just totally. And to the last I'm minute. I'm guilty of that. Uh, not when it comes to movies, because that's the one thing that I I do make time for. But I I understand the life of a procrastinator because I am one, and um, I feel like I do my best work after I procrastinate. Right. But when I'm under the gun, but I don't necessarily think that might be the best uh, when it comes to watching movies because it can be draining, and you can skip things, or you can only watch the things you're hearing from other people, or. Uh, things like that and maybe you don't get the complete picture right right and And also i mean be open to finding a variety of people you trust in terms of not just industry people but actually read more film critics as well i think that's an important thing to keep in mind because if you if you take a little bit from you know here and there and everywhere you're going to get a more uh, wider scope of what is being released in a calendar year, right? You you read a little bit from the New York Times, from uh, you know A.O. Scott and uh, Manola Dargis, and then you take a little bit from David Ehrlich, and you read a little bit from you know Chris Tapley, and then you know you you continue to find people to read and 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 see what they're interested in, and again follow it through the year, so it's not just like at the last minute you're thinking like. Oh well, what are the movies that are considered award contenders that everybody else has been voting for, or, or you know, is is dubbed award worthy? Because again, there's a lot of great movies that are just as good or better than what have been nominated for best picture. I mean, it's very clear. But again, some people just don't have the time, or you know, put it to the last minute, and that affects the vote. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better, so I totally agree. But um, the Oscars, uh, February 24th, I believe, the yeah. end of February. Um, See, now I'm over the Oscars. Where it's right. like I find the, the nominations themselves to be the More most interesting. interesting yeah. And it's just like now it's like, 
Can All right, send me on, a press release. Yeah, can we just get on to 2019 now, like yeah. Sundance? Because the further it gets out, like it's slate. almost in March, right? Yeah. Where you're just like, Jesus, get this over with in the first week of January. Right. Like, just fucking New Year's Eve, do this shit. Like, right. um, but I agree with you. As you get it closer into March or or closer to March, you're well, like, even we're with already Sundance. Like, you're just kind of like, well, now I want to be focused on the new slate of films that well, are. Opening. Black Panther came out before the Oscars last yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's just it's crazy. Um. And and what yeah, will be and, that movie this year? And like, Sundance is starting tomorrow, yeah. right? Or or Thursday. I think it's this week it starts. And um yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. But um we'll we'll be back to do kind of our official predictions and, and we'll play a little bit of a game and I'm sure you'll destroy me. So Would you like uh, to play a game? Uh my four K of Jigsaw is sitting beside you. <laughs> um <laughs> all right, let's quickly go through the the rest of the news and then we'll wrap this shit up. We're already going quite long. Um, nepotism running full <laughs> force in Hollywood. Uh, Jason Reitman was announced as the director of a new Ghostbusters film that is going to be taking place in the original timeline, not the timeline created by Paul Feig uh, a couple years ago. Um, thoughts? Um, there was a little bit of a teaser trailer. We didn't bring that up in the in the trailer talk, but right. Um, it felt almost like a promo. It and was. I think they're yeah. really trying to emphasize. I mean, obviously they they did in the press release that this is a continuation to Ghostbusters two yeah, specifically. A passing of the torch. Yeah. So I'm already tired with this. Like, I mean, <laughs> I I really love the first two movies, but they are of the '80s and they are of their time, and I feel like. It, the remake was okay. It wasn't great, but it was fine for what it was. But it failed. And to me, it failed partly because the concept is dated. And it's like they didn't really focus too much on the minutia of catching ghosts. It was more about, you know, improvising with these incredible comedic talents and not really focusing on, you know, the minutia of the, the traps and you know the proton packs well, i think it's about the team and i mean no not, i know that but but part of what yeah. the team is 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 figuring is out this equipment yeah. and, and 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 working together yeah, and, 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 and actually, actually building the the containment unit and stuff like that and, well and, and you had memorable ghosts from the first couple of movies and right. that's some of the stuff you remember i mean we talk about it and there i just although again, slimer it was always weird to me that he became like the mascot kind yeah of. And, and especially in the cartoon series well, even with the well. stave puff marshmallow man and like i just remember over and over again um uh with gozer and 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 zool and like i mean even I wasn't, again, we talk about some of these like uh, 80s films when I was younger. I just didn't really grow up with them. And I remember watching Ghostbusters and really loving it and as a kid and being really scared of a lot of it. And I the think. The library scene. Yeah, the library and the, the eggs Weaver and like. Her kitchen. Yeah, yeah, and stuff like that. And I remember being terrified or as a kid. Or the hands coming out of the, the reclining chair and grabbing her. And, and I do think you were missing some of that in the Paul Feig movie. And they did focus a lot on the comedy and the yeah. improvisational comedy. And, and some of no it worked. To that. Yeah, that's and, the thing that didn't work. And a lot of it worked and a lot of it didn't work, right? And like I was fine with the new Ghostbusters movie. I thought it was enjoyable when I watched it and then I, I, I rewatched it and I was like, eh, you can really tell that they're trying very, very hard with some of this improv comedy that just didn't work. Well, that's the problem, um, I think. And, and I think it's partly Paul Feig and Judd Apatow to blame for this kind of stuff because... Because the cast was great. The cast is great, but when, when you don't have material and good material written on the page you can't always rely on your talent 
to you know make do with what's not written. I mean, yeah. they can do their best, and they are all great. And I'm sure there were great. They had a lot of fun on set, and and some of it does translate, but then some of it doesn't. And you can tell what is written and what's not. But at least with that original script or with those original scripts, they were written, they were done, and then the actors took what was written and made it even better. Yeah, you know, like you need a base, you need you need something that I think tangible. they just didn't gel as a team either. Like I don't they know. all yeah, felt like individuals, and like. Uh, not saying that Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson like well the three like, of the four of them were very yeah. tight because they all started in Second City right? right so they were all very familiar with each other now the majority of them with the exception of Melissa McCarthy have, have all done SNL but they were doing they they different had done casts it, different and, cast different yeah. times so and they they didn't really have the chemistry beforehand they they were fine together but they didn't have mm-hmm. the almost they were just missing something and, and brotherly ca- uh, chemistry that that the the original guys had yeah and I don't just let's be honest men are better oh, <laughs> but that's the I'm thing gonna that's, sound but the thing is we're letting those guys win yeah kind and of, that's right? the thing that is gonna be really uh nauseating to be clear you were joking about those oh, 100% I know yeah, I know yeah. but I want to give everyone yes yes 100% I'm I'm making fun of the asshole contingent contingent that, like, online that for the next couple of years are going to be bombarding film twitter and geek twitter with comments and photos and eventual uh, reviews saying finally they got the ghostbuster sequel right because it went in a direction of of a male dominated cast we don't know that though like again, i know but that's we, probably what yeah. everybody is the rumors is are that it, it might have a younger cast like teenagers a, a, yeah teenagers and maybe have a i i could see it having one of those like Goonies eighties movie kind of vibe to it. And then maybe having, I'm assuming Dan Aykroyd will be the one guy who probably yeah, comes back in and, the cartoon. What happened was, um, after real ghostbusters and Slimer and the real ghostbusters was done, they brought it back in the late nineties, early two thousands and called it extreme ghostbusters. And they had a group of, of college kids that were working with Egon and Egon was their tutor. And the one that kind of, um, passed on the torch, Obviously, you can't do that with with because have Harold Ramis having passed away, so Dan Aykroyd would probably be the one to to kind and of. I'm be the sure mentor. that's him in the barn in the teaser, probably right, living in some small town or something right. where maybe he's an outcast now because people either don't believe in what happened in New York way back in the day, or or something, it would be interesting like, to see if 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 it is a worldwide phenomenon, like because I mean both movies have been New York centric. Right. So it would be interesting to see if, you know, like between 1989 and present day, how ghost paranoia phenomenon has changed or capturing like were there other Ghostbuster uh, franchises infringed upon after Ghostbusters or did everybody just forget about it? Like, now, did they insert a really cringeworthy joke of being like, well, there's this group of women Ghostbusters, but that didn't really work. Probably. Uh, I'm like, no. Um, and I also feel it's Jason Reitman, like, falling back on something that's kind of uh, fail safe. Yeah. Because, I mean, whether or not you liked quality wise, I mean, his last four films have all been box office duds. So it's almost like I need something to, 
you know, if I want to, if I want to make another front runner or another Tully or another movie that's mine, now I have to do one. It's perfect marketing for Sony, right? Yeah, like a Reitman coming in to direct Ghostbusters. I like, mean, you could just, just call it Son of Ghostbusters. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean, right? So because he's in, he's in um, Ghostbusters too. Ghostbusters too. Yeah, because so. he wants He Man. Yeah, maybe which they're also bringing that repri- back. reprise his role from Ghostbusters two in a cameo. But um, yeah, I like Reitman. I mean, I am I love uh, Thank You for Smoking and Up in the Air and uh, Juno even. Um, young Adult's pretty. Uh, young Adult is great. So like, he's another one of those guys we've talked about M Night and a few other people that I that I sort of cheer for. And not that I'm like, oh, I cheer for nepotism in Hollywood. But I mean, I think he's proven that he can be a good filmmaker, right? Even though maybe he was given a few more breaks than than some other people due to his 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 father. But I, I'm, I'm totally okay with him jumping in and, and, and trying to do Ghostbusters. And it, again, I, I do agree with you that it kind of sucks that we're going to kind of give these these dorks what they want that are online being jerks about it and right just don't be a jerk just don't be a jerk if someone wants to enjoy ghostbusters that's fine if if they're excited for this new one that's fine just don't be an asshole about the other one and like and and, and things like but that. you know so, they are and, it's, oh, I know, and that's but, the thing that's that's just exhausting about it it's just like i don't really want like you can mute people obviously but it's just like i really don't want to hear all this stuff because like it's just it was just it was so toxic to begin with and whether or not the movie was a success is one thing, but to be completely misogynistic and, you know, toxic masculinity is just, it's just, it's just exhausting and it's not worth it. And it's just, it's just juvenile, like grow, grow up. Yep. You can be excited for Ghostbusters and still be an adult and yeah. not an asshole. Uh, next piece of news. Uh, we'll go quickly through this stuff. Um, Christopher McQuarrie uh, signed on um, to do back-to-back Mission Impossible films. So he's coming back to do his third and fourth uh, Mission Impossible movie. Tom Cruise, obviously, back. Um, it, they're going to be getting a 2021 and tw- no, 2021 and 2022 release. Um, whether they're part one and part two, if they lead into each other, if they're completely different, we don't know anything about it yet. Um, there are rumors that he might bring back uh, Henry Cavill and Alec Baldwin, that would be interesting of how right. that would happen. Or just Henry um, Cavill's mustache. Yeah, hopefully. Um, uh, I, there's not much to say other than um, I think this is great. Uh, obviously, Fallout is a phenomenal movie. Um, uh, Rogue Nation is is a great Mission Impossible movie as well. Um, I was always in that cr- uh, crowd of wanting a different director for each Mission Impossible movie. I liked right. how each one had its own feel and sound and look. Um, but I think Macquarie did a good job of making Fallout look and feel different than Rogue Nation. And I'm wondering if he'll continue that, if he'll consider both of these kind of one movie that he's splitting up or if they are two distinct, completely different Mission Impossible movies because they are kind of each movie you could just watch on their own, right? right? This is the only one. Fallout was the only one that kind of carried over elements from other movies. Um, yeah. You excited too? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited and nervous at the same time because I feel with Fallout, like the series has peaked. Yeah, and how I do you don't top know that? how. To, yeah, like I mean, I'm, but we've I, been saying we said that after um, Ghost Protocol, right? I and think. I made the joke that you got to take it into outer space at this point. But I, I am just, I'm when I think of movies shooting back to back, like as soon as I read that press release, I just thought of weirdly the Matrix sequels. 
and it's just like look how that turned out and i mean we also have the avatar movies that are coming up next and it'll be interesting avengers to see. we're seeing endgame which was shot yeah at the, so it, it, i mean it'll be interesting to see how you know that franchise i mean it makes sense just because of tom cruise getting older and like if you want to keep making these movies or 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 have a certain number of them you probably got to do them sooner than later and and judging you know by cruise's um you know commitment to the role and and dedication to um you know in-camera stunt work and and effects i mean he's probably going to take time to learn how to fly a rocket ship or something yeah. for the next literally movie. become an astronaut yeah, yeah so I... you know you need to you need to consider that as well so um i'm sure it's all planned out and i and i mean it hasn't been confirmed but i mean i'm sure macquarie's even doing rewrites on the top gun script um so i mean it's a, it's a good gig that he's got it's just unfortunate that you know like it would be nice to also see Macquarie move on to do something, to something else, else yeah. right? Because now this will be four in a row. Yeah. Um, but hey, man, someone's going to dump a truckload of money in front of you to kind of... Yeah, and Cruz uh, literally, like, he, Cruz is the only person that Macquarie is answering to. So... Macquarie, obviously, Cruz is comfortable with him, too. Yeah, right? so Macquarie is basically getting final cut. He is he's getting to make the movie he wants, with the exception of Cruz being his boss. And Cruz is... Yeah, I'm very comfortable with him at this point, and and so going all the way back to Valkyrie. Right? Yeah, so you know, good for him. He he'll get to make the movie he wants at least within the studio system. So all the best. I'm I'm excited for it, but again, just a little bit nervous, just because I don't I don't know how you could tell Fallout. And do you think they're doing the back to back because Cruz isn't getting any younger? Well, either? that's what I like, said. Yeah. yeah, like I I think I think it is. Sorry, I know he's of his age, and he you know like he can maybe only has two more three more left in him in total i mean he's still young considering oh god he'd beat the shit out of both of us yeah like, like he's he's in great shape for his age and what have you but i mean you you we've been hearing that scientology of, man just yeah. keeps you young what's well, the bird saliva he's <laughs> yeah, eating yeah. um but it, it's uh but you you heard about like with the accident of him breaking his foot jumping out of the, the building where like it's like well People are probably more worried about those happening, and the older you get, those things that you could be more prone to them. Not that you necessarily are, but you know you do physically you do change over time. So you yeah, know, he's he's he, it's a race against the clock. That'll be the next movie. He's fighting against Father Time or something. Uh, next up, uh, Uncharted has a new director again. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg, who directed uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and some people might have seen his uh, Portal short film that he uh, that he directed, uh, going back into a video game reference. Um, but Dan has come aboard to direct uh, the Uncharted film at Sony with Tom Holland still attached. Uh, rumors are that they're aiming for a fall uh, 2019 start date on this, and it'll take a young Nathan Drake um, meeting... Sullivan for the first time um, and going on uh, some if, for those of you that don't know Uncharted imagine Indiana Jones uh, taking place in modern day kind of that's the easiest way <laughs> to right. explain it um, will this happen uh, I don't know <laughs> uh, I think it will um, but will it be directed by him that is the question. I think it will 
I feel so you like think he is the one that's now going to take it. I feel like he will be, and I know he's a huge video game fan. He started doing a YouTube show way back in the day, talking about movies, just like me and you are right now, and and started making student not student films, but like short films. And, so what you're saying is and, that you're going to be next. To uh, direct oh God, yeah, make me do the Last of Us movie, man. I'll kill it. Um, no, I still think Trey Edward Schultz would be great uh, for that. Um, although he already kind of did that already. So. Right. Um, yeah, Dan Trachtenberg, I, I loved to, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. I think he's a, a, a talented guy. And um, will we ever get a good video game movie? I don't, I, it doesn't look like it yet, even with this. Like, I like Tom Holland a lot. But, like, I don't know what you can do to make this. Unless, like, it goes – I think it needs to be Indiana Jones and um, – uh, Mixed with something like like a Mission Impossible almost, right? right? It just like needs a, to be an action adventure movie first and a video game adaptation yeah. second. It's it's I mean that's why there's I think potential Tomb there for it works yeah. to a certain degree because it's not trying to be a video game adaptation. It's just trying to be an action adventure movie. And the thing about Uncharted, it's like it's big thing that everyone remembers is that it's very cinematic and it has these gigantic crazy Mission Impossible, Fast and Furious style set pieces, right? Where planes are hanging off cliffs and Nathan Drake's jumping from one fucking thing onto a train that explodes and he lands on in a Jeep and starts driving off. Like, they're these ridiculous, over-the-top set pieces that you can do in video games because you're not limited to either... Uh, I mean, it's all digital, like a CG, but um, if you want to do practical effects, you'd have to kind of look at those those movies like Mission Impossible, like Fast and Furious, and, and, and maybe kind of um, figure out how you can take that excitement of these real kind of stunts and put the, those big set pieces into this movie. And they need to throw a shit ton of money at this if they want it to be good. Because I think there is a potential there of going, again, we're... Disney is making another Indiana Jones movie. It's supposed to be with Harrison Ford, but I feel like that kind of adventurer kind of action adventure movie is ripe for the taking. And 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 yeah, where's uh, where's National um, Treasure? 3? That's what I mean, man. <laughs> I, I would totally be uh, fine with that. But the National Treasure movies are sort of like Uncharted. Um, well, they're kind of. Indiana Jones. Rip-offs. Well, that's what I mean. They're all Indiana Jones ripoffs, yeah. right? So it's just you take them in a different time period. It's just like if Indiana Jones. It's like young Indiana Jones, right? Like yeah. if, it's, if he's grown up, and um, ironically, they're like with the new Indiana Jones movie. It might take place at a time where Indiana Jones is coming out in theaters, right? <laughs> and uh, it's yeah, I don't know. Uh, will we get a good video game movie? I hope so. I feel like it'll only take one or two, and then it's gonna get superhero territory because there's all these properties of of um it's figuring out the template that's that's difficult and making that transition from you know one medium to another and and just because you know what works in a video yeah video game narratives doesn't necessarily mean that it automatically will become a a screenplay or a template for uh, a franchise a film franchise so it's still working out those kinks you know and figuring out how you can make that work but again like if you approach it as just uh action adventure movie then maybe that's the the right step to go you know and not have to worry about every little detail when it comes to the mythology of what's already been built within the video game universe yeah i mean that's kind of i mean we'll, we'll we'll never get it but i would be i would i was very curious to what the Mark Wahlberg, David O. Russell, 
uh, Uncharted yeah. movie was going to be with Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro as his uncles. So, which is nothing in the game. Yeah, like maybe one of them was supposed to play Sullivan, maybe De Niro or something. I think. Like, I think anytime Mark Wahlberg like, gets added to a video game movie, it never becomes Max what, Payne. Yeah, like it never, like the demons. I never understood what that was. Which all about. aren't in Max Payne. Yeah. I don't think. I can't. Because it was just a straight up revenge yeah. storyline, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then they decided to make it Constantine, which is weird. Um, but I like Tom Holland. I like Dan Trackenberg. So we'll see. Um, I'm going to wrap the show there. Um, thank you guys for listening. This was another monster episode of the untitled movie podcast, our 18th draft. Um, if you like this, please go on iTunes or Google play or Spotify or wherever you listen to this, uh, give us a follow, uh, hit us up with a review. Uh, five stars would be amazing. It really, really helps out. Um, if you like this, we also have another podcast called the untitled movie reviews where Eric and I get together and review movies. We have new reviews up right now for, uh, the Netflix fire festival documentary, uh, uh, M night Shyamalan's, uh, glass (laughs) as well as, uh, Joe Cornish's the kid who would be King and stay tuned for, uh, uh, one of our, our second, I guess, 23rd, 2019 i don't even know what's happening right now but um who am i uh, our review of serenity will be up on on thursday if you're listening before the 24th um thank you guys for listening if you want to find more of my work you can read some of it at uh, cineplex.com as well as the untitled movie podcast.com and you can follow me on twitter at matt Rohrbeck. Uh, I'm Eric Marchin, and you can find more of my work at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene, as well as the show itself. Uh, Our awards uh, conversation with Matt is currently airing. If you didn't get enough today. (laughs) And it's a half an hour show. Uh, (laughs) So so it's it's condensed to half an hour. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at EM6211. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.